Jack. Levi. The Book Club from Hell. Hello everyone, this is Jack with The Book Club from Hell. A delayed techno-doomer-millenarian cult awaiting the annihilation of humanity by e-girls and Amazon Prime. This week's episode is on Effective Accelerationism, or EAC. An extremely online movement, Effective Accelerationists believe that technological progress will inevitably lead to the generation of greater and greater intelligences in the universe, something that will be of unambiguous benefit to humanity, or whatever comes after it. They set themselves as optimists, in opposition to doomers, particularly those of the effective altruist persuasion. To orient ourselves in the EAC universe, we read two articles, What the F-Star is EAC? and Notes on EAC Principles and Tenants. The former was, I think, written by based Beth Jezos, an online EAC personality, and the latter was written by Beth Jezos and Bayes Lord. If you like what we're doing with this podcast and want to support us, we have a Patreon account, the link to which is in the show notes. People on Patreon can access the notes I make for episodes, so long as that episode warrants coherent notes, so if you want more information on the books or manifestos we've covered, you can find it there. Additionally, I've published a novel called Tower, which you can find on Amazon or Apple Books, links also in the show notes. So, if you want to learn why everything is going to be fine, so long as Silicon Valley venture funding remains high, then listen on. Enjoy. So, what have we got on on this this episode, Jack? Effective accelerationism. So, have we... We've touched on accelerationism in terms of... So, you know, people like Mike Ma talk about it as a meme. And granted, accelerationism, at least as soon as you get anywhere online, and you know, this is a podcast, Levi and I are terminally online and it's rotting our brains, so... We're very much of that group. As soon as you get online, accelerationism does turn into a meme very, very rapidly. So we have touched on accelerationism for people like Mike Ma. He just keeps talking about it in his books as a catchphrase. We've talked about it in the context of Nick Land's Dark Enlightenment, where it's very much there, but I think it's, it's talked about in less interesting terms than in Nick Land's other works. Levi and I are are beginning to read and it comes the first up. for Annihilation by Nick Land, which oh, yeah. is the, uh, <laughs> the more theoretically intense. Would you say it's his magnum? It's his magnum opus. Is it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether it's his it? magnum opus or not. Just like I said, I just don't know enough about Nick Land, and I haven't read enough of his works. But sure, it's it's a mind fuck. <laughs> Look, it's it's a lot easier so, to find than meltdown. Yeah. I'll say that. Meltdown is just pure, like sticking your brain in a blender. Mercifully short, though. Anyway, so we've co- <laughs> we've covered accelerationism in, oh, Nick, in the context of Nick Land in the Dark Enlightenment, where basically he said, "Well, we shouldn't worry about racial tensions at the moment right, because we're going to accelerate beyond the biological horizon so quickly that face tentacles will suddenly become like a a physical feature that we have to contend with. <laughs> so skin color doesn't matter. So just thing. stop thinking about it." <laughs> that's the yeah. that's the spark notes <laughs> of the dark enlightenment. But we we effective accelerationism is something that we've both seen pop up to an increasing extent online, particularly in in people's names on Twitter. It's a uh, an accoutrement to make sure that everyone knows that you're. I think George, you're super based. I think and George te- technologically savvy, yeah, super based. Um, you you put so that, that I've your seen name on Twitter behind. and you're immediately part of the club. 
such such trustworthy luminaries <laughs> as Martin Shkreli have embraced it, which means... <laughs> 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 yeah, I've seen Martin Screlly. I've seen George Hotz get into it. Hotz, Hotz, um, the um, the nerd guy who loves computers and made that self-driving car competitor. Mm, mm. Um, uh, who else has gotten into it? I think kind of Mark Andreessen. So a lot of like the kind of Silicon Valley types are in mm, are into mm. into it. Yeah, yeah. And it's basically, so accelerationism, for those who haven't listened to episodes of ours where we talk about it, or for those who haven't come across it before, the idea of accelerationism, of accelerating some feature of, of the society you live in um, to, to a point of collapse, so in the Marxist sense, accelerating the contradictions within capitalism to speed up the demise of capitalism. Mm. Mm. The context in which we'll be talking about it today is more in the Nick Land adjacent sense. So Nick Land believes that there's this, this underlying <laughs> yeah. force of the universe, which he, mm. I'm not sure if he calls it capitalism, say, from the Big Bang, but at least, at the very least, in the modern context, he says that capitalism is this organizing force, this innately organizing force, which is pushing us inevitably at a faster and faster rate, accelerating, if you will. The the maybe maybe an alternative which we capitalism exist, to- and and which will overtake humans to- very very quickly. I think I'm pretty sure it's in meltdown where he says something to the effect of nothing human um, makes it out of modernity alive, or some, something to that effect. Yeah, yeah, like it's yeah, it's yeah. going to overtake us. There will be forms of intelligence that will accelerate more and more quickly in a post-human world, and so effective accelerationism is like Nick Land, but happier from a human perspective. It's it's Nick Land, but you're gonna get a techno girlfriend and unlimited streaming services <laughs> in space. And infinite it's, energy in space. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an AI servant and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. It's, the sex um, dolls in the future are going to be amazing. Yeah, I'm sure so, they'll be absolutely <laughs> be happy. The, it kind of like Brave New World almost. Like get some Soma and some orgies in you. Yeah, but in Brave New World, they still just they happy. were still meat sacks. They're still they, they, had, they had pneumatic people, <laughs> sure. They had very, very pneumatic humans. They yeah. were still humans. They weren't... <laughs> very pneumatic. They weren't like 12-dicked. Huxley wasn't thinking yeah. far enough ahead, man. Yeah, yeah. He was still um, chained to the flesh. Yeah, so this has kind of got some elements of that. So the, the high-level idea with any form of accelerationism, whether it's like Marxism or Nicolaine stuff, um, is like can we accelerate social change particularly? It it tends to gravitate towards technology, although that's not necessarily the case, like technology or capitalism, like the material means of production and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's interesting. Then there's different flavors of it, which are like negatively valenced or positively valenced. This mm. is a strongly positive valenced yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, accelerationist uh, s- sub subculture, I suppose, online. Um, and in particular, I guess what we're going to talk about today is like 
like what is EAC for people who haven't mm. heard about it yet? Why does it exist? And then in particular, we're going to talk a little bit about like why we came across it. There was a recent Lex episode that Jack and I both watched independently and were like, hey, check this out. And then we we're just like, oh, why don't we do an episode on, on it? Yeah, then? yeah. It is interesting you're talking about the optimism of, of effective accelerationism because I feel like in most strains of accelerationism, there is, whether in the foreground or the background, some sort of optimism. So in the Marxist sense, I feel like there is yeah. long-term yeah, optimism yeah. in that, yeah, things are shit now, but with, with acceleration of capitalism's innate contradictions, it, the, the current bad order will collapse and we'll get something better in the future. The Eonic Futurist Manifesto, yep. a noted accelerationist work, which we've done an episode on, is also you accelerate the, the contradictions <laughs> in... Highly influential. I don't even know what <laughs> specifically... I don't know if you complained about anything specifically, but if you accelerate enough, then you know those, those MS Paint tier illustrations he had of like sexy Aryan babes with a black sun just pasted onto their back like yeah, drinking or a wheat in a sunny like field or something like that yeah. <laughs> well yeah if you accelerate then like a wolf at least the white something. you know the, the white people among us will get that future so for a portion of the population the eonic futurist manifesto's brand of accelerationism also holds within it a sense, a sense of optimism that you're gonna get um white yeah. nationalist ms paint blonde babe paradise Nick yeah. Land's yeah, yeah. accelerationism, and he he's like, at least at the moment, like the Leviathan <laughs> of accelerationism. From a human perspective, that's, that's a lot less uh, optimistic. It's it's very it's inhuman. It's still a kind of optimism, I suppose. Yeah. Sort of. It's, I would In say it's, 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 it's like just sort of bad, neutral. Bad for it's people. It's neutral with respect to that because he seems to be saying, look, it's just this process that happens whether you like it or not. It's, it's inevitable that we're going to be getting this accelerating... I guess complexity generation through what he calls capitalism, and it's you know it's going to leave humans behind. You can't do anything about it, so just reconcile yourself to it or don't just enjoy it. It doesn't matter. It's so it in it's kind of that depending on the the perspective you take. It is you know either pessimistic or just neutral. But anyway, most of these or, actually do guess, have optimism with EAC. The optimism is much more front and center because so much of it seems to be about it's it's less the you know things are bad but we accelerate through the bad and it gets better. Instead, it seems to be look things are actually pretty good and we're going to accelerate the good and the good's just going to get gooder and it's going to get gooder and gooder until it's goodest. There's going to be a singularity of goodestness and it's going to be so good. It's a it's a direct quote. Yeah, so they kind of follow <laughs> they follow in the footsteps of the sort of Ray Kurzweil types. Mm, mm. All about that technological singularity or quote unquote intelligent singularity. So yeah, I guess what I mean by negative valence is like, are we accelerating to get away from the current order? And you know, yeah, that's a good way um, of putting it bring about the socialist utopia or are we accelerating to kind of in a positive valence um, sort of, <laughs> if you think about it in terms of something, something analogous to the civilizational Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm. we want to self-actualize the ultimate the sort of the singularity is, is something along the lines of the techno utopian future, like yeah. just the, 
most pristine crystallization of tech bros nerding out with oh, their man. just just imagine that paradise <laughs> with their sex dolls online. <laughs> yeah. It's the high income parts of San Francisco, but spread across the known universe. Just imagine. Yeah, yeah. And everybody Yoga else is studios and everybody else bars. is homeless living <laughs> and three thousand dollar a Google, week. Google software engineers writing hoverboards everywhere. <laughs> uh, everybody w- eats all their meals at work and never leaves and never associates with anybody. Well, they drink people. Soylent. Share their employer. Yeah, everyone's just soylent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, I can't wait. That'd be be so good. <laughs> So an interesting point then is like, why does EAC exist? Mm, mm. What is it a response to? You said before you used a particular word reaction. It's reaction or it's a reactionary movement. Do you want to expand on that? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'd say reactionary. It depends how you define reactionary. I would say it's, it's certainly a reaction. And this is, so this is in part based on an episode of the Lex Friedman podcast, both both Levi and I listened to, where based Bef Jesus, with not, not, not his birth name, birth yeah. name, I think it's Guillaume <laughs> yeah. Verdun, something, he's French-Canadian. So but he has, in fact, up. legally changed he's his name. He's changed his name. He did legally change his name to based A Jeff man who is, who is First name based, known as middle based name Jeff. Bef Jesus. <laughs> In his becoming, the, uh, the sloughed off actuality, yeah. the, the being. <laughs> Of this soul, is named Guillaume He is Verdun. the being of the of the Montreal slash the um, San Francisco soul. slash yeah, like every Silicon X little um, like startup incubator around the world is is channeling the becoming that is based Jeff Bezos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so we'll talk about this guy more, <laughs> but. In this, in this interview, he talked about his motivations behind, if not founding EAC, because I'm not quite sure who founded it, but at least he's one of the more important public yeah, figures. He's a prominent figure. I don't think he would say that he founded it. Yeah. And it's also it's an intentionally decentralized movement. I think he rejects the idea of there being a leadership or some sort of EAC politburo dictating what people should or shouldn't believe in order to be <laughs> EAC. <laughs> in fact, I would I'd quite confidently say he would reveal quite... what I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is yeah, what I'm yeah, proposing, sure. not him. I'm not going to put words in his mouth. So the he Jack said, the EAC czar. The commissar. <laughs> he said that of communications. He he sees that there's this culture of pessimism in I think so. He he worked at Google. Um, I think he now has a startup called Xtropic, where I think they're working on physics-based AI. I I'm too dumb to know what that really means, but it's it's a novel approach. Mm, I have some opinions AI. on that, but yes, we can talk about that. Le- later. Levi with far more domain expertise when it comes to computers beyond modding Skyrim and making it crash, which is which is my experience. I think in the computers. last episode we did, I. It decisively showed that I don't have any domain expertise in computers. I, just, I have a novel interest, and mm, okay, <laughs> I will leave it at that. But I do have a strong opinions on on Xtropic. I invented claims that he makes. My name's Alan Turing. So, uh... <laughs> Jack von Neumann. <laughs> yeah, Jack von Neumann. I just keep reincarnating. There's Babbage, Turing, von Neumann. I've just 
Jack I'm is like the Dalai Lama just reinstantiating himself in like a new computational vampire to then just come along and and make all I do is drink the blood of, and computation and podcast. <laughs> anyway, what was I even talking about? Uh, oh, oh yeah. The, so what what this guy said is, you've got this culture of pessimism, and to his mind at least, it's pervasive and it's. It's pulling the center of gravity of discourse around technology very much in the direction of pessimism, of things are terrible, things are only going to get worse, and it's our fault. And so he likes effective altruism in part because I think he just he believes with the foundational tenets, which we'll go over, but also because he sees it as a counterweight to that that narrative of dissolution and pessimism, which explains some of the some of the more meme, like meme aspects of it. So he'll he'll post memes about like, oh, but it's like, it's like entropy is our god, and you're making all sorts of like funny and kind of silly statements like that. And that goes some of the way to explaining some of the more cartoonish, if not aspects, then expressions of EAC, particularly on the social media site formerly known as Twitter, where he sees making these sort of outrageous statements of really, really wild optimism counterbalances the pessimism and he hopes will will drag the centre of gravity of discussion around technology and around our current society in a more, to his mind, healthy direction, a more optimistic direction. I think that's the main reason why it exists as a counterweight to pessimism. What What were your thoughts on this? Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I'd had to spend and, a really long time and several several discursions uh, to say something very very simple. Maybe you can do better than me. <laughs> it's just the nature of our podcast. Like if you don't <laughs> we like the, the circuitous somehow. nature, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the circuitous conversations that Jack and I have. Uh, when when you think as talk. slowly as I do, you really need to pad out the time to work out what you're saying. <laughs> People once asked us, like, hey, why do you keep on interrupting each other? And, you know, is that just because of the internet? And Jack said, this was on a, like a chat with our Discord. Jack said back, no, that's actually how Jack, Levi and I talk to each other. This, this is just how we interact. Even when we're in person. <laughs> yeah, I apologize. I'm trying to be less rude and less interrupting. We'll get there one day. At some point, I, Jack and I will actually have a conversation where we don't interrupt each other. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want this to affect how we actually interact IRL. I'd be really disappointed if we didn't talk over the top of each other continuously, face to face. It's actually worse. It's worse in real life. There's never actually a moment where either of us pause. We, it's our conversations are actually just like two tracks running simultaneously. Yeah, yeah we sync up our word, or our individual syllables as well, so each of them overlap. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh like this sort of convergence and divergence like of syllables be very disorienting for mm, outsiders mm, anyways mm. i'll get back to the topic at hand um so yes an interesting point and we can expand more on this later when we talk about like what they got right or we can talk about it now mm. is like uh what i call the culture of pessimism so i'll talk a little bit more in detail about it but i think there's a there's a lot of ideas that I would classify as largely pessimistic um, in various forms, like they're anti-human, anti-people, uh, anti-growth or degrowth. Um, they often tend towards um, they they the, the people who 
propose these ideas often think that the way the way to implement them are very authoritarian very mm. pro-regulation all these sorts of things um and just a, a general like negativity towards civilization people you know uh anti-natalist th- that sort of broad set of ideas i call pessimistic ideas mm-hmm. and they can come up in different paradigms or different ideological settings so like there's a lot of anti-human stuff in environmentalism even though there's obviously forms of environmentalism that are not pessimistic and there are forms of like leftist political thought which is very pessimistic but there's also like christian like interpret like elements of pessimism and so forth so like it comes up this is something that can cut across different ideological um contexts and specifically effective accelerationism is basically trying to say in large part like people are good and the technological development and associated economic development and growth and population growth those are all good things and we should like them and we should encourage them and we should get on board with them and we should like build a society that is um, conducive of those things happening and accelerating. Mm. In particular though, in particular, and this is one thing that I think is important, is that uh, EAC, as far as I can understand, um, and I might be wrong about this, um, is it was in particular, or Jeff Bezos, oh, sorry, based Jeff Bezos's <laughs> um, particular like bugbear was a response to effective altruism. Now, effective yeah. altruism is a really interesting idea, and I've sort of dabbled with it. I sort of like, you know, I listened to Sam Harris's stuff. He's sort of advocated or explored it a fair bit, um, and it is an interesting idea. Effective altruism is essentially the idea that let's try and like come up with objective measures of like how effective is if you're like giving to charity or something like that, or like deciding what to do with your career, like 80,000hours.org or whatever it's called, like thinking about how you're going to use the 80,000 hours of your year of your career to do good. Like instead of just being purely emotional about it or just like going off like what are cultural precepts you have, can you be more objective? Like donate $100 to buying mosquito nets will do a lot more good than giving $100 to a random person on your mm. in your local community if you're in a first world country probably maybe i know there's a lot to be said about that idea we're in actually but in particular a there's very a very large number of subjective value judgments which they kind of gloss over which yeah. is one of my big problems with yeah they got altruism and maybe actually it might be interesting to cover effective altruism one day on the show because yeah because I, I kind of i've my I, own problems with it I, I kind of get where they're coming from about getting people to be a bit more analytical about it and stuff. I think it's okay, but it can kind of get really weird. Like with um, Sam Bankman-Fried, it got pretty weird. Yeah, so. but it's also the <laughs> like the 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 exhortations to be more analytical about your giving. All always, funnily enough, seem to to home in on agree with me and my my value judgments. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, William yeah, McCaskill's yeah. value judgments happen to be the objective ones that you should be following. Peter Singer's value judgments happen to be the objective ones that you should be following. They're all very objective get... people, these academics yeah. at Oxford and, and so forth. Yes, because they know how to speak in stats. But anyways, maybe I'm just being an anti-intellectual. What the fuck ever. <laughs> so um, anyways, in particular, there's a, there's, so if we hone in, there's a particular element of effective altruism that these guys are really responding to. And this comes out of the AI doomerism. Or yeah, like doomers. the Nick Bostrom. <laughs> side of the so world. there's this argument 
which we can discuss whether or not it's a good argument. But there's this argument which is essentially arguments from expected value. So expected value, if you wanted to like the most simple version of the expected value argument, you have two components of an expected value. You have the probability that a particular event will happen or your estimated probability or whatever. Um, and then you have the magnitude of the value that you assign to that probability, like how, how good or bad it is. And for a, for a civilization ending event, you can assign an infinite negative value to that event. And so any non-zero infinitesimally small probability that that event could happen is still an infinitely bad expected value. Mm. Therefore, you can justify any potential scenario where you can imagine, hey, such and such technology could lead to the end of civilization. You need to take severe and radical uh, precautionary um, uh, uh, re- regulatory approaches or like cultural mm, approaches, mm. like shut it down. So it's it strong. It strongly leans towards. It's essentially just like an over intellectualized precautionary principle. Over intellectualized towards that, that just happens to ignore opportunity cost. Like, this is what happens if you just ignore opportunity cost. Opportunity cost. It ignores the benefits that we get from the technology. It ignores the mm. potentially positive outcomes. And it also leads to very authoritarian. And of course, all the people who advocate this point of view, for example, the guy who wrote Superintelligence, can't remember what his name is, is like, okay, well, we I'm need more sure policing. We need to, Nick Bostrom, yeah, that's right. Like we need a governmental, an intergovernmental authority on AI people like regulation. Me. And we need to, and, and that regulatory body needs to be informed by me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. It's never so, oh, I'm gonna let because these people always these people are always the arbiters of ethics and morality in society. So of course they have to be on the boards of these things. So um that's what yeah, they're Levi, responding they're to in particular. You're just being subjective. <laughs> of course they're objective. Why, why don't you just be objective because for a second and agree with them? Objective Bayesian epistemology. I'm probably just making it too obvious. My my antipathies towards effective altruism. <laughs> Sorry if that was too long. I think I got to the points I needed. No, that to that to. was good. Though. That was much better than whatever I said. Talking about being a computational vampire <laughs> or some stupid shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, EAC in large part seems to be a response to the the doomerist strains of effective altruism which do exist within a broader cultural context of quite a bit of pessimism. I do I agree with at least based Beth Jesus's um belief that that we are largely within a, a fairly pessimistic culture at least in the west that yeah most most narratives at the moment like if you look in a newspaper you, you think about, you know, is, is how positively or negatively balanced is this with respect to the future? It's almost all the budget's fucked, the environment's fucked, technology's fucked, politics is fucked, and it's all our fault. Yeah, technology is making things worse. We shouldn't learn about this particular type of science or knowledge. We shouldn't research this thing. Which have mm. more regulations, more restrictions. You know, like companies can't yeah, trust and, itself. and the, the solutions, like the markets are failing. almost invariably. Yeah. Like we need to slow down. If not, you know, if not everything, then almost down. everything. We need more regulation. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's more or less worse in different parts of the economy, and obviously in different yeah. jurisdictions yeah, yeah. and stuff. So it, but broadly speaking, 
I would say one of the interesting things about the EAC movement is that they've identified a problem which I would agree exists, the, pessim- yeah. the culture of pessimism and its various forms. Yeah, and for my criticisms of it, and I will, I, I do have criticisms of the two things we read for this. So what, what the two articles, what the F star is EAC and notes on EAC principles and tenants. I think Beth Jesus was in, involved in writing both of those things. Bay's Lord also wrote um, some of the, the latter article. So both of those, I agree with them directionally and I like the sentiments behind them. I think it, mm. we do need to be a, we'll make sure aware to link, of, link all those of, things of how, oh, we'll, I'll definitely link these in the show notes because they're, they're both really yeah, short. Yeah, and the Lex episode as well. Easy reads, yeah. I like the optimism. I think it's definitely worth reminding people about the amazing things that we've achieved as a species and that that the solutions to our problems often don't involve passivity of just saying, oh, well, I'll stop doing the thing that, that has caused problems. Because at least with, with degrowth strategies, what's often missed is that it's almost, there's a hierarchy of problems in terms of how pressing they are. And the most pressing problems tend to be the ones that have the most immediate solutions or the, the solutions that we work on first. So what were what were some of our first problems when we were on the African savannah? It's like, okay, well, we're cold at night. Oh, we don't have enough food. Those those are some of the things that are solved first or have solutions attended to first or we're under threat by animals or other humans. So we, we make weapons. We're cold at night. We make clothes and fire, et cetera. You've, you've, it's almost, you can think of like civilization as this stack of solved problems. And the ones on the lower levels are the the most yeah. immediately pressing ones. And each level of solutions higher are both responses to problems that maybe were around all the time, but are just like you're getting around to them now because they were less pressing. And also more immediately pressing problems that have arisen because of your previous solutions to problems. The thing is, if you start trying to do mm. degrowth, you kind of like revert back to these previously solved problems. <laughs> you're popping the stack. We're getting it's like yeah, you're and that's literally what's happening in. Oh my god, you fucking so it's nailed like, it! It's Jack. almost like, like okay, if we 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 need to produce. That is literally so, what's okay, happening so we, in Europe. Like they're they're popping yeah. the stack on energy. Like they've yeah, already solved cheap energy, and now they're yeah. f- they're deindustrializing. And now you've got fucking brownouts and blackouts in places like Germany. It's like one of the most advanced economies in the world. And because they've got these stupid ideas around like whatever mm. renewable garbage energy Nuclear sources they use instead of just using fossil. Yeah, well they had the fucking fossil fucking fuels. galaxy brain idea of shutting down their nuclear plants, becoming more reliant on Russia, which is a geopolitical rival. <laughs> And then shitting their pants when just, Russia, like, as, so like as it, you know, historically just keeps doing, starts invading countries nearby. <laughs> like, oh, so who could have possibly this is, this? This is, this is a this really coming. good, this is a really it's good like, example. There's a stack of, of like, problems that have been solved. And if you degrowth, you revert back down to these previous problems. And this is a direct refutation of what... Guillaume is saying. So one of the key things that Guillaume is saying in the here, I'm getting all gestural here. Like I'm going to get my Mikasa, watch us on YouTube. You can you see you can see Levi do Italian hands on YouTube. These ones, <laughs> it's so it gets me really fired up. I get um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm very gestural sometimes. And um, 
like Guillaume is saying, hey, so, and we can explain this a little bit to the, to the ability that we can, like, we're not physicists, but he brings in all these physics arguments. He says there's an inevitability to it, and he cites some thermodynamic principles that he thinks are inexorable laws of physics that say, like, yeah, this will dissipative adaptation is the but, one that he... We can go into that more. But later, yeah. I can... We can literally point at specific civilizations, both historical, such as, like, um, Renaissance Italy... Or um, I think the Easter like Island civilization—I forget what they were called. Or the is probably, Islands is one of the better refutations, I guess. Though, okay, so I'll preface this with or we saying, can point it, yeah, it's like might, Easter Island talking or about day Germany. Yeah, he might be talking about this at a global level, so he will, he might say that okay, so you have some civilizations that just shit the bed and and disintegrate, but globally. There's there's going to be at least one that outcompetes the others and and continues. So like that's okay, so before, before I, we get before into I say the, this, into that's what I expect that. he would say to it. But for example, the Easter Island yeah. civilization is a good one. That they obviously had yeah. some sort of you know they had social technology such that they were a society. They had technology enough that they could carve out big stone heads. The thing is, like, and they rabbit hole their entire civilization to just building stone heads and putting them up and fucking disappeared because that's not a survival strategy. <laughs> it's, it's like, I mean, you can do it. It's just this is not a long-term strategy. Yeah. So anyway, so why don't? So I feel like we're jumping ahead a little bit. Why don't we dial it back to like talk about that particular concept that we're accelerating well, maybe before we even get into that particular concept ex- of a coherent episode? And now the conversation doesn't. Yeah, we're far out. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, this is what so. How did we? Let's like. dial it back. Yep. Where were and let's we? talk about, look, I wore a college shirt, all right? So I'm trying to bring my A game, you know, like I'm doing my best here, <laughs> trying to show up. <laughs> I mean, to look it does have zebra print on it, so. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm not going to be completely professional. It's a fucking podcast. <laughs> it's a college shirt still. Still counts. Um, how did we come across it? Let's talk about that. And then we can talk about Gillorm and like some of the arguments that he makes. Yeah, so I came across EAC. I can't remember when exactly. So for those of you who who don't know, we like we have a Twitter account for this podcast, which I might go on once a week or so. <laughs> I don't think Lilo goes shit. on at all. And I sort of pretend to <laughs> I haven't been on it in like keep an eye months. on it. Sorry. So if, if people have messaged us on that and we haven't replied, I'm sorry. Uh it's not we're not ignoring you. It's just we're too disorganized to, to do that. Anyway, on Twitter, the times I've gone on, I saw more and more people had after their names EAC, like E slash ACC. And so I looked into it on the basis mm. of that. Um, I do remember Nick Landon in an interview talking about finding EAC as a new branch of accelerationism interesting. And then there was an interview with, with based Beth Jesus on, on Lex Friedman's podcast. And it, yeah, but because we're opportunistic vultures, we saw that there was this interest in EAC, and so we felt compelled. Which is also why we're doing the Tate Bible as well. So. <laughs> yeah, we're currently <laughs> reading the Tate Bible. Try to get on that bandwagon. Yeah. Which is, uh, I reckon, it, and, Andrew Tate's bright star is burning out. It's falling. Uh, we missed it. Did we the, miss the, the prime opportunity? Damn. <laughs> We've passed, yeah. We've passed the zenith of um of Tate, I expect. 
There's look. There's going to be another yeah. one. Like there were, who was who was his name? Dan Bills. He'll do something was, crazy to get some attention. Was Andrew Tate for people of our vintage? Now you got Andrew Tate, and you can have some other goober after him. Anyway, and yeah. and you you Hyper bet we'll bro. cover him. <laughs> anyway, so I. That's how I came across EAC. I found I found the interview with Verdon interesting on um on Lex Friedman. It seems I like a nice there was, guy. There was enough overlap with what Levi and I believe and what we disagree with that I thought it would it would be interesting to talk about for an episode as well. So uh, yeah, I had come across EAC. Based Beth Jesus, if you're sooner. listening, come on the podcast. Shout out to Guillaume. Set us straight. Shout out. Yeah, set us, set us straight. Talk about your ideas. Also, we're trying to be nicer on the podcast. This was one of our New Year's resolutions. I was listening to some of the older episodes and I was just like, man, not not about Jack, but I was like, oh, Levi, you're being a bit snarky. Like, stop being a fucking oh, me little, monk, like, little monkey throwing shit. Like, slight, try to be slightly more constructive. So, based Beth Jesus or whatever your name is, uh, Guillaume, if you want to come on the podcast, that'd be cool. Um <clears throat> Yeah, so I came across it a little bit earlier. Oh man, one day, one day we will have a guest, <laughs> even if it's like F. Gardner <laughs> who's or something. Not Ed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who's not Ed? Well, Ed is kind of like uh, he's he's not really. We will a have guest. we will have he's a guest of, that we don't know a very occasional personally. co-host. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he, he and I, he and so, I are, are watching um, Lenny Riefenstahl movies. We'll do an episode on that. Like a life goal of mine would be like if we made this thing financially viable, we could actually offer it a job, and so he could leave his responsible adult job and come be goobers on the internet with us. <laughs> That'd be pretty fun. What would we hire him to do? <laughs> Just make episodes with us. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be, be fun. That'd be pretty um, so uh, anyway, people like, should. We've got a Patreon account. This is why people should get on Patreon. Sign oh, up, man. Sign up for and as we, much we money as day. you can afford. Or as much money as you can't afford, which is even better. Drive yourselves into poverty. We will one day, we will one day deliver some value to our Patreon subscribers. Like we will do something that is worth paying for. <laughs> um, but at the moment, we have like a few people who are extremely generous and they just want to support. Yeah, the show, thank so you, shout thank out you, to you guys. Massive shout out to all of our Patreon subscribers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we we're not very organized at like doing stuff other than like making the episodes so like anyways um yeah how did you come across eac guillaume so before that uh i believe if i remember correctly i was watching a martin screlly video (laughs) and he started talking about it trying to explain effective accelerationism That and guy, I, that I, guy I, even I, even just his voice is so untrustworthy. There is just nothing about that man that is remotely trustworthy. I um I ended up listening to quite a bit of Screlly, and you sort of see an evolution of him over time. Like he comes a bit more mature and stuff. And at earlier in his career, you see like he was very hard headed and wouldn't really like compromise on anything, which is fine, whatever. Um but very easy to paint in a very bad light. And I think he's an interesting guy. He's got some interesting opinions. Um, he I was will, trying to explain look, I'll it. Concede, I was like, he's very I'm not funny. sure about that. He's very funny. He's smart. Like he knows what he's doing and mm. um, he's a champion of the free market. So good on him. Fucking good on him. Go, go <laughs> Anyways. Um, uh, then also George Holtz. Holtz. I got to like double check his name, the AI car guy. Um, 
does like streams of himself talking about like computers and stuff, which are fun to watch because he's he's a bit of a maniac as well. Um, and <laughs> he started talking about it. Um, and yeah, just this this collection of the the sort of like tech bro sphere mm, <laughs> essentially mm, mm. started talking about this idea. And Mark I Andrew also met uh, Mechatronics. Well. Oh yeah, he fucking loves it. I met, the, but the very first inclination I got of it. I was talking to this mechatronics engineer at just like a party about, I was talking to him about the beginning of infinity, uh, which is one of my favorite books as listeners would know. Um, and, and then he started I talking my about sister a like, copy of that for Christmas. I've started evangelizing. Yeah. Nice. Sorry for interrupting. I just realized oh, yeah. I'm interrupting. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> if, and look, I just want to say if, and when, a better book comes out with better explanations of how the world works. I will drop the beginning of infinity and the fabric of reality and Popper's work, and I will adopt the better explanation. But thus far, I've not seen a better explanation, and I think it's extremely strong. However, that being said, um, anyways, I was talking to this engineer about um, about the beginning of infinity, and he he's like, uh, oh yeah, well, like, have you ever thought about like how? Um, it's like inevitable that life became more complex or whatever. And I was just like, inevitable? What do you mean inevitable? Like, why do you think it's inevitable? You know, like life existed for like 3 billion years as very simple celled organisms. And if you were observing a planet, there's no reason a priori to think like 3 billion years into its evolution when there's still very simple celled organisms, why you should think they would become multicellular or like complex organisms. Uh, why are you saying inevitable? And he is trying to like make this kind of, it's almost like, um, like an ontological argument, you know, like the ontological mm, argument mm. for God, except instead of for God, it's for the increased complexification of life. Um, and it, that obviously eventually leads to like, intelligent life and civilization and then if you extrapolate that further it becomes like machine life or whatever mm, um mm. so yeah it's kind of this weird little meme that's been going around for at least a couple of years now i suppose yeah oh and so that's kind of how i've been finding out about it there is actually a particular person as well that we should mention which is um this guy uh let me just pull up the book it's called uh his name is jeremy england and he wrote a book called Every Life is on Fire, How Thermodynamics Explains the Origins of Living Things. He's a very interesting scientist guy who's into thermodynamics. I think his ideas on what's called dissipative adaptation kind of like gave... I don't think he's really into the EAC stuff from what I've listened to him. Of He's more just about like the origin of life stuff. But mm, all the mm. tech bros like zoned in on this guy's ideas yeah. and just like extrapolated them out into into civilizational prophecies yeah 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 and at least in the articles we read for this this episode dissipative adaptation comes up a lot that's basically the the kernel around which at least um verdon's version of eac um centers upon so you should we talk about you mentioned previously yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. That's that's what I was going to say. Actually, even before that, you mentioned that you had some thoughts about physics-based AI because Guillaume has a uh, has a startup called that? Extropic. You just mentioned that because I'm yeah. not sure where else that's going to come up. Yeah, I can sort of talk briefly about that. I just want to preface everything that I say henceforth. I should have said this at the top of the episode, but like everything I say is suspect. Um, and... <laughs> 
I am neither a physicist nor a particularly good programmer. So fortunately, I'm expected to get these things right. But for what it's worth, when it comes to um, physics and computing, I do want to preface everything by saying that Verdon sounds very, very competent. Like he, he worked at Google. He worked on quantum computing. He has his own startup. He, he's a very smart man. So he's accomplished and he's, uh, I haven't gone and looked at like his papers that he published because he has a PhD in something to do with computation. Um, anyways, I wonder what university you went to actually. Maybe if he was in like Toronto or something. Um, Let's have a look. I can't like, respect him good, if he didn't go university. Ivy League. I can I can screen yeah, him out. Fair if enough. He, if he went yeah. to a lesser university. <laughs> so he's got this um, prestige got... upon him. <laughs> um, he's got this uh, startup called Xtropic.ai, which has just raised fourteen million dollars in funding. Um, and when you go to his website, Xtropic.ai, uh, it says self-assembling intelligence from the future, um, and. They've gone fourteen point one million dollars, and to me, like, okay, so on their press release, it says incoming transmission from the future, and it, I, I guess you could imagine, like, you know, on Alien or whatever, where they get the radio transmissions, like incoming transmission from the future. Yeah. Uh, this is Guillaume Verdon. The era of omnipresent generative AI is imminent. Timelines have been accelerated. The future must come to pass. Xtropic is building the ultimate substrate for generative AI in the physical world. Building an AI supercomputer by harnessing the first principles of thermodynamics and information like an alien would. With this, this fundraising announcement, Xtropic crosses a significant checkpoint in the timeline, a milestone in wielding the techno-capital machine to birth a core technology for our civilizational trajectory. The Xtropic AI supercomputer thus begins assembling itself from the future. <laughs> and transmission. Yeah. It's Ripley on the Nostromo <laughs> saying, no, Siri, like this, this sounds great, but I've got bigger problems. I've got a killer alien on board. <laughs> and, uh, and then Worry he basically just says, he, he, he's, oh, that's actually really interesting. He says, redefining computation. A ton of engineering work has been poured into making various devices we use every day, more precise, more reliable, more accurate, less noisy, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it's like if you go to their GitHub, which they link, there's no repos. There's no public repos on the GitHub. So we don't know anything actually about what this technology is. Suffice to say, the guy's got a good background in terms of his technical capabilities and his basic mm-hmm. science work. And he's pulled together a small team and raised a sizable amount of seed funding, like $14 million in seed funding in like $2,010. That's like at least $100,000. So guys <laughs> pulled, pulled enough together to like pay one Silicon Valley engineer for like three months for them to eat right. <laughs> and <laughs> no, no, $14 million US is a lot of money for a seed round, but they haven't actually published like any details about what their technology is. So what I'm about to say is just purely first principle stuff and it's, why it's just my auto generated furry porn. Like that's it. Uh, I wish, I wish one day, one day. I wish. Um, That'd be so good. Uh, if he came, so, came to their investors and be like, okay, check out what we've got. And it was just terabytes generated in a second 
of like <laughs> Nazi fur porn. So, um, yes, for a full episode on Nazi <laughs> uh, fur, furry vor, vor porn, go and see our furries episode at, at oh, rele- release so like at the end of last year. <laughs> um, we have many bits about it. So, so my, okay, how do I say this without being rude? Or maybe I'll just say it and I'll just caveat say it with, then backtrack. I apologize if this comes up too and then I'll backtrack. Yeah. My, my, my spidey senses are tingling. My bullshit radar is going off. And the reason why is because there's two things that you need to understand for the basics when it comes to like computation. First and foremost, computation, the study of computers in, in physics, like when he says a new physics based computation, like there is no such thing as computation without physics, like properly understood computer science is, uh, it's, it's quasi autonomous. You can study it in its own right, but all computation must take place on some physical substrate. Right. And the way that that happens, roughly thinking, is there's a correspondence between any physical physical process and a computation. That correspondence is as follows. The correspondence is you have an initial state of a system, which corresponds to the inputs. You have some dynamical laws of motion for the system, which corresponds to the, the program state changes. And then you have some final state of the system, which corresponds to the outputs. And we take some measurement of the system in its final state and we interpret that as the final outputs of the system so what we do to instantiate like the idea of a universal computer on a piece of hardware is we put some uh physical aspect of like the substrate into correspondence with a universal computer for example we all use von neumann machines like gen like the normal computer architecture without getting into gpus and stuff are generally von Neumann architectures. Um, They're random access machines and there's an equivalence or there's an isomorphism between like the random access model of computation and the Turing model of computation. And there's also an isomorphism between that and the Lambda calculus. Like all these models of computation are, are equivalent and they all share this property, which is what's called universality. So universality at a high level is the idea that within a particular domain, uh, a process or a, a set of rules is universal with respect to that domain if you can generate all possible outputs in that domain with the, that rule set. A really classic example is like <clears throat> numbers. We can represent any number that we want with to like some finite level of accuracy with like actual physical substrate using the decimal system that we have or using like a binary digit system but you can't do that with roman numerals another example is like constructing an alphabet is a universal system for representing language like phonemes um whereas like a pictogram system for like symbolically representing spoken word is not universal because in order to create new words, you have to create new pictograms. Whereas like in order to create new words with an alphabet, you can just like recompose the existing symbols into like new, new sequences. Um, so <clears throat> with regards to computation, what Turing's breakthrough was, was he realized that in computability, there is 
there is nothing beyond what a what a universal computer can do. And in particular, the church Turing Deutsch thesis, so David Deutsch, like back in the 80s, extended Turing the Turing Church thesis to like include um the ability to perform computations on 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 um multiversal objects like essentially like quantum computers. <clears throat> and the the sort of modern way of putting this thesis is that any physical process can be simulated by a universal quantum computer. Any physical process. Or another way of putting it is that there is no computation that one universal computer can do that another universal computer can't do. Or another way of putting it is that they can simulate one another. And because they can simulate one another, there's nothing that one can do that the other can't do. And because all computers are physical devices, this is a statement about like the hardware property of it's it's a it's a statement about hardware. So if you have any universal hardware, there's no computation that it can do that another universal piece of hardware can't do. So his idea that he's putting on Xtropic is he's kind of like saying, hey, there's something special about the hardware that we're making that allows it to do some special stuff that this so if he's going down that route, he's just actually wrong. He's like objectively wrong he's trying to say something that is breaking the laws of physics but what he might be saying and this is a more generative general sorry this is a more um a nicer interpretation what he might be saying just like with gpus is that for the particular application of generative ais they've figured out some interesting pieces of hardware that allow them to do that type of computation more effectively a really good example of this is like with the ASIC miners, like for performing like SHA-256 computations, if you like set up your hardware in a particular way, you can optimize that computation, but you no longer have a universal general purpose computer. You have a specialized piece of hardware that can't necessarily do all computations, but can do this one particular type of computation very efficiently. But if he's trying to say something other than Hey, we have this thing that can do computations that a normal computer can't do. He's just like he's just lying. Um, so, mm. given that he has so much domain expertise, I'm sure that's not what he's saying. Um, because that would just be like such a basic mistake for somebody of his level to make. I think he must be saying the latter thing around like creating specialized general purpose hardware for generative AI. Yeah, I don't sorry, know. Sorry, that was an unbelievable knowledge, knowledge about this to yeah, have a meaningful sorry. opinion one way or the other. My my assumption sorry. would be that because yeah, because he knows a lot about this field and you know at at the very least he speaks well. So that that's how I kind of analyze how smart I think he is. There there uh, is he, no that, computation that he's that not he's making some sort of really really basic that error. our computers can't. Like that's just not that's just breaking the entire concept of universality, um, mm. but it could do it more efficiently. He could do, he could have created a piece of hardware that does generative AI stuff more efficiently. Mm. Yeah, and we're talking about efficiency. It, like that, that can mean that something is practically possible versus effectively not possible. Yeah, in terms of like life. tract tractability, yeah. the, the life the lifespan of a human or something like that. Yeah. And that would be interesting. Sorry, I, the reason why I went off on that rant a little bit is because like when it comes to, I call it, I think the term is dog whistling. Mm. It's like hardcore dog whistling 
in the in the Lex Friedman episode where he's basically like he knows he's getting a platform, which is great. Like good on him. You know, he's gonna get a platform of millions to like talk to these tech investors and stuff, and he needs to like try to get oh fuck yeah, tech nah, he should definitely show himself and stuff. I have no like, problem with that. To get in on it, which is fine. I think that's fine. I think that's great. Like uh, but yeah, I just if he's pretending that he can do something he can't, then like people just need to be really wary of that. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> I'll, I'll trust your judgment on that. I I can't really meaningfully say one way or the other whether uh, I'd put money into this or not. Yeah. No. So I, how about we? Talk I don't about- think it's a matter of trust. Just like whether or not I'm said makes any sense is like is mm. is that issue. But it might not. May I'm just like completely retarded. So. <laughs> <laughs> We'll invite him on. We'll invite him on and grill him. So, all right. How about we talk about dissipative adaptation and the the aspects of that paper? What was it called? Where is it? Notes on EAC principles and tenets by Beth Jesus and Bayes Lord because it's it's in this a Substack article. I'm pretty sure where they they outline the mathematical and physical reasons as to why EAC is correct. And why we're all going to make it, why everything's going to be fine just so long as we keep accelerating. Mm. And central to all this basically is this idea of of, um, dissipative adaptation. Before I go into that, a a note about how this is written. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah, it's written. It's, yeah. I don't know if he's if he's trying to make it un, unintelligible by normal people or I'm in two or, minds. Or if it's just like he's he's, how how he's, so, he's having a difficult okay, so time to explain. I'll start his with ideas. the positive. The positive is that it's written concisely, and when there's a concept that the two authors think is important, they basically will, they'll name it directly by saying, you know, okay, this is the. I guess, like the physical theory upon which this is based. I'll just say dissipative adaptation, and this is what we're basing our reasoning on. And so if if I'm being positive, I'd say it's very concise. The reader can see that and do what I did. You look up, okay, what is dissipative adaptation? But it, I think it actually makes the, while it keeps the word count down, and it might make it look more elegant. I do feel like this particular way of communicating actually makes communication more difficult, at least for me. If they just explained what dissipative adaptation is, because it's not a hard concept. And anyway, Having said this, I might just fuck it up in my explanation of it and reveal that I actually don't understand it. But at least to my understanding, it's actually quite straightforward. And they probably could have dedicated three sentences to saying roughly what it is. Or saying enough of what it is that someone can continue reading their article without having to to search around for what these particular terms mean. It did feel, I'm not going to say it, it felt like they were trying to obscure meaning or were trying to make things more difficult than, than it needed to be. It might just be that they're, they're people with a great deal of domain expertise and they're just used to communicating in this way to other people for whom saying something like dissipative adaptation is uh, like me saying apple or a banana to you. Like it's, it's just a concept that we both understand. It could be that, mm. or it could be mm. trying to make this sound more mathematical 
technological, physical, and therefore credible to, to people like me who don't necessarily understand these things so well. I'm not sure, but the, those are my thoughts on how this is written. It's uh, perhaps too technical without needing to be. I, I didn't really feel like the, the, the technical jargon added to it. Yeah, so you, there are some other... So if we dis- distinguish between Guillaume's writing and other people's writings, or so I listened to some other people talk about EAC, and Guillaume brings in this stuff about dissipative adaptation and others don't. So, for example, there's... Uh, in, in, have you heard of Pomp, Pomp, Anthony Pompliano? He covered a bunch of stuff in crypto. No. Um, he, he has an episode where he talks to a guy about EAC. Not deep enough and it's in pretty crypto. Good episode. I and the guy Bitcoin and then started ignoring it. Just stopped thinking about it. That's the yeah, that, that's the depth attaboy. of my faith. Attaboy. I don't need to no. listen to prophets. I just need to listen. To the <laughs> that's all you the need. The music to do. of the blockchain compelled me. <laughs> just buy Bitcoin and watch the rest of the world burn. <laughs> <laughs> safe in my hardware um, wallet in an undisclosed location. And that's all I need. Safe, safe hammered into a piece of titanium somewhere in the woods. <laughs> in <laughs> location, yes. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, shout out to Cold Ti. Love that shit. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, some people bring in. I'm um, Bitcoin. Yeah, sorry, sorry. There's been a lot of sidetracking this episode. I guess with this episode, it's interesting because, like, say every episode, it's kind of. I think we're going like, to just accept Gu- that that's Guillaume, our thing. Guillaume is kind of a man after my own heart. Like, I want to support him, and I'm kind of like on board with the problem that he's trying to solve. I just think that he's going about it in a really bizarre way, and um, so I kind of like want to support him in in one way, but I want to support him by like critiquing what he's saying and trying to improve what he's saying essentially because i'm kind of on the same team but it's like as we've said before our maths analogy like you got the right answer you just your working is wrong so let's let's try Mm. to figure Mm. out some better working one of the things that guillaume does is he pulls in this stuff from thermodynamics um and he tries to do what deutsch and popper would call he profit he's prophesying the future and the way that he's prophesying the future is that he's constructed a somewhat like using a somewhat esoteric like part of statistical thermodynamics. He's trying to generalize that to say that this applies not just to these special cases of like, say, like small clumps of molecules like potentially self-assembling. Um yeah, he's trying to he's like lit- specifically small clumps of molecules with a an external heat source. And and and, a, and a, I'm and, pretty sure like also that a, was the model a, a heat, of a heat bar specifically. It was yeah. It was it was like an external heat source or an external energy source like the sun. So um, Jeremy England was trying to think about the conditions of early Earth, which I still think he thought about the conditions incorrectly because there wasn't there wasn't a heat sink, there wasn't an ocean like the life created the ocean. Like part of the reason why the ocean exists is because, anyways. But that's that's getting hung up in details. Like um, roughly speaking, this model of like okay do you get um, states of self-assembling molecules 
occurring spontaneously and under what conditions can that occur so he's trying to jeremy england is trying to solve a really interesting question which other people Mm. are trying to solve as well which is it's distinct from the darwinian question of like how does life evolve because darwin figured or neo-darwinism now the modern version of it with like molecular biology and stuff is hasn't there's still open questions in it but it's gone a long way in answering the question of like once you have life biological life how is it that diversity arises in the biosphere through natural selection and random variation and all that sort of good stuff but there's the question of like yeah but how did it start it's like we know the Mm, mechanism mm. how we how we go forward once it started for n equals one or greater but what about from zero to one how did that happen and jeremy england is proposing a potential like research paradigm he's, he's trying to like yeah. this might be a fruitful way that we could think about it which is interesting and his basic his basic idea was that yeah so if if you have a some sort of medium with molecules in it or just anything that can that can assemble into other forms with energy if you have that plus an external energy source so in this case in the case of this particular paper a heat source then the question is which forms of molecules are going to predominate in this medium given time and he says that for for certain configurations of molecules in this so there, there are some that will just assemble at at the ambient temperature the the ambient amount of energy there are some that need to get over an energetic hump like you need to put energy into the system for them to f- configure and then in doing so they'll release heat like they'll dissipate heat out of the system so that heat now can't be used within the system and he sees he proposed that this was kind of a ratchet effect that the configurations of molecules that most effectively take in energy from this external heat source configure themselves and then release that heat so it can't be used by i guess you know quote unquote competing or inverted commas competing configurations those are the ones that are going to predominate and that it's not a particularly tough concept to get it's kind of you know the things that in a given system persist are more likely to be more common in the future like those that persist preferentially to other things should i i guess the question then is sorry there's, I've got a, like a little snippet from an article that's not too oh yeah long yeah that I could read that like has a little bit of information about it, um, uh, from Scientific American. Uh, that's uh, scientificamerican.com slash article slash a new physics theory of life, which is discussing Jeremy's Jeremy England's ideas. Um, mm-hmm. There's a little part of it that says at the heart of Jeremy England's idea is the second law of thermodynamics, also known as the law of increasing entropy or quote unquote the arrow of time. Hot things cool down, gas diffuses through air, eggs scramble, but never spontaneously unscramble. In short, energy tends to disperse or spread out as time progresses. Entropy is a measure of this tendency, quantifying how dispersed the energy is among the particles in the system and how diffuse those particles are throughout space. Um, Blah, 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 blah. Let me see if I can. So the overall entropy of the universe increases during photosynthesis as the sunlight dissipates, even as the plant prevents itself from decaying by maintaining an orderly, orderly internal structure. So this is continuing on from like Schrodinger's early work, which like Jeremy England's inspired by What is Life by Owen Schrodinger. This idea, what we see in like 
cells or even like with regard to specific enzymes is the enzyme itself, that structure itself is at a lower entropy. It's got structure and it's got order um, mm, and it's mm. mechanical um, in some sense. But then it increases the entropy, the total entropy of the cell by basically dumping heat into the water within the cell. And then uh, I don't know how this works with like cold-blooded animals, but there must be something going on there. But like at least with regards to like like um, exothermic animals like ourselves, like it's pretty obvious that like that ends up leading to like basically a metabolic rate where we're releasing heat into our environment. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so well, I mean. Like poikilothermic metabolisms will still like they still evolve heat. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just I less. just don't know. The and details. it's also they don't it, they don't require a certain internal temperature to stay alive. They just oh okay right, right. right yeah cool. ruminate. So that's a really interesting idea. But the issue, I guess, that is or what's sort of the heart of the issue is like yeah, but generalizing it from that particular circumstance, the molecular biology circumstance, into what Gilorm goes on to. He talks about, which we can now talk about yeah. if you go to get back to talking about Gilorm, uh, meta-organisms and meta-meta-organisms. <laughs> and he sort of like generalizes it to talk about all of sort of human civilization and the universe as such creating more and more like free energy and more and more complex structures. Um, I, yeah. yeah. There's a few leaps in there that he gets in. Yeah, as I was going to say earlier, so you can you can abstract this idea away from okay, you've got a heat sink and some water with molecules in it to something more complex, and the, the idea doesn't fall fall apart at least at first blush. So it it could be a way that life started, or really anything that persists in the universe persists, but particularly life because it it's this this active process of using almost the second law of, th of thermodynamics as an engine to create local pockets of complexity and to you know, just spit out increasing entropy as, as a result of maintaining those pockets of complexity. I guess you know, how, one of the things that will determine how seriously you take EAC, or at least this particular instantiation of EAC, is the leap of does that tendency or that proposed tendency naturally lead to increased intelligence and inevitably lead to increasing intelligence over time yeah. and i think that's yeah. a that's a leap i wouldn't make so yeah there's a there's a if lot you, of if you if you if you take this and you extrapolate out so you go okay what are the what are the things that improve the i guess we can say fitness in this context if you take fitness to mean the persistence yeah. of a particular orientation of matter maintained through this engine of taking in energy, mm. configuring itself, releasing energy into fitness like competitive the environment, increasing entropy or something. Yeah. yeah. I guess you call it fitness within an evolutionary paradigm. I just say that because I had sure. trained in biology. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the, the question is, you could view intel say increasing intelligence as a a way to optimize that so an intelligent organism will have will have a greater fitness than something which is not intelligent so an organism which can consciously or oh, no i won't say consciously but can 
can, with some sort of intentionality, identify and solve problems. Will, if I'm going to just assume that that Verdon is correct, that will have a greater ability to persist through time. That will be more fit. And therefore, given that intelligence in some degree improved fitness, then more intelligence is going to improve fitness above something which is less intelligent. And so what, you know, you just draw draw out the arrow of time. The second law of thermodynamics, you know, entropy increases with time. As entropy is increasing, as time is going forwards, you're going to be increasing intelligence as well, because that's going to be the form or the collection of forms which are fitter than the less intelligent forms. That's in brief, I think, what Verdon is saying. I don't yeah. agree, because there are certain things... So you so could if say, we just okay, make a so note, so if something like... is... Oh, yeah, sorry, go on. Sorry, sorry. So much interrupting. We'll get there one day. Um, just on a note... Like <laughs> We're absolutely we not going to get there. We, we work backwards, right, from what Verdon's mm. trying to... So I think what Verdon did is... I hope we're pronouncing his name correctly. Anyways, Verdon, for now. Um, well, in French, I think it's pronounced Guillaume yeah, Verdon. <laughs> in in, in uh, Australian Guillaume is how they say it in... Um, yeah. In in Quebec, yeah, that's the that's the correct yeah. pronunciation. Sorry, not spelling English, Franglish, Australian Franglish, Franglish. It's just completely yeah. completely botched. Um, anyways, so Verdon is yeah. I don't in know English, if this was we his say actual Guillaume, thought. I think. I don't know if this is his actually thought thought process, but it looks like to me from the outside that he's basically said that he wants to. He thought, okay, how do I? I want to say that the future will be better and so people should be optimistic. Mm. Now I need to now how can I construct something from physics? I want investors to get to that conclusion. Yeah. I really want to raise fourteen point two million dollars for my AI startup. Can I come up with a philosophical justification for getting more seed capital? Like I don't want to actually make the product, but I do want the fourteen million dollars first. No, no, hardware startups are hard. Hardware start I shouldn't throw shade. Hardware startups do need a lot of seed funding. So um yeah. No, it's like I will um, like I <laughs> I will be a dickhead about this because I'm just I'm temperamentally unable to be otherwise. But I do really I respect anyone who is actually who identifies a problem and then instead of just complaining about it, actually goes out and does something. Like he is doing something. He's trying to fix it. So good on him. Yeah. If it were if it were a pure software play, I'd be like, you don't need fourteen million dollars to write software, mate. Just go and write the software. But because he's doing hardware, I'm a little, I'm more sympathetic to it. Um, anyways, like uh, uh, back to like what he's saying. So Jack's trying to sort of think through, like, okay, what's the thing that we're trying to get to? We're trying to get to a philosophical justification for why we should be optimistic about the future. And Guillaume mm. sort of worked out one. If, if you think there's like a path space towards like this thing that you could like use, pick like your preferred random bit of pseudoscience or science and then work out a way to get to the optimism. Um, that's kind of like Guillaume's particular way of getting there is through this sort of weird dissipative adaptation thing and relating that to intelligence and capitalism and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think that's roughly what he's saying. And it, it was somewhat obscured by the the obscure language used in this post, but I think that's that's roughly what what they're saying. It's intelligence is within the paradigm of dissipative adaptation, an adaptation that more effectively 
takes in takes in energy, dissipates that energy, and as a result leads to some sort of stable phenomenon. And as intelligence increases, you have more stable phenomena which outcompete less intelligent phenomena. There are there are just a lot of points in this at which it could go wrong because you could then you could say, okay, well as, as intelligence increases, the technology produced will likely increase, or at least can increase in complexity. With that yeah. also comes the ability for for intelligent species to just eliminate themselves. Like <laughs> you know, hundred thousand years yeah. ago, humans didn't have the option to nuke each other. And that's a that is still an existential threat. Like we we could just wipe ourselves out. We have that ability now. And yeah, to to a large extent, I'm I think that reason is oftentimes the slave of the passions. I think Hume got that right. I we've got this tech we've got this technology. I don't think that we necessarily become more rational and as a result, as human society becomes more complex, we also become sophisticated to the point where nuclear war over stupid shit becomes an impossibility. I think that that possibility mm. just remains there. And you're you're sort of one perfect storm away from from global annihilation. So yeah, you need to the idea that increasing intelligence oh, ever ever vigilant is is something that just maintains itself, I fundamentally don't agree with. I think it it could continue to improve. There are just there are a lot of fail states which aren't aren't wished away with with dissipative adaptation. Yeah, I, oh, you know what? That's a good way of putting it. Like it, it's kind of like trying to hand wave away the reasonable, um, like would you say, like there's elements of all these pessimistic ideas that even if you mm. were like, well, I I don't want to be a pessimist. I want to try to like move forward, solve problems, make the world a better place because this is fucking Silicon Valley. So we're our photo sharing apps going to make the world a better place. So we're like, <laughs> 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 fucking solve Sorry, homelessness had, outside my front door with my photo sharing app. Yeah. Sorry. I had Come to, up I had to that dude ODing on fentanyl and tell him all about my photo sharing app. <laughs> hey man, we're going to save the world. Don't you feel um, better? <laughs> Sorry, you can take a photo of yourself <laughs> shitting on the sidewalk and share it with all your friends. Um, like, anyways, sorry, I had to get that jab in. Um, <laughs> that, was good. Yeah. that was pretty unfair, but, but it felt good to say. <laughs> but even even if you wanted to, like, okay, let's just strip back the pessimism and like take seriously their concerns. Mm. There are reasonable mm. concerns about it, like for example, like nuclear holocaust or nuclear annihilation. Like it is a perfectly mm. reasonable thing to say. Like, like even if you are pro nuclear energy, thing. like my, like myself, like I really like nuclear energy. I think we should have more of it. I think Australia is totally like behind the eight ball with this stuff, and I think Germany is going backwards. And it's it's mm. like nuclear energy is a very powerful technology that could supply, like if not all, a, a huge proportion of our energy needs and do it with the modern technology mm-hmm. in a fail-safe way with very low pollution impact. And it's just, it's like, it's like it's, we have this amazing technology that like in principle is either there or very close to being able to like solve a lot of the issues that we're concerned about with the energy and the pollution stuff. And we're just not using it. 
Um, yeah, but I, want, but I once saw this picture. It was a nuclear symbol, <laughs> right, with a big yeah. red X over it. Um, and on the basis of that, I think it's actually a really bad idea. Um, it's really deeply this This, this, this group of people glued themselves to a main road. And on the basis oh, yeah. of that, I think nuclear energy is a really bad idea. Glued their hands. I want to put that out the there. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> so that is a good thing. And it is also true that um, nuclear weapons in the hands of an organization like Hezbollah or uh, like name any of the other enemies of like civilization, like, yes, those people having, or even just like an irresponsible US administration. That is also extremely, that it's is also even, true. It is, it's, it's true to it's, say it's, these it's not two even things that. at I think the same time. Yeah. Well, it's not even an, there are necessarily and like a, a malicious group or an irresponsible group. It can just be through complete, uh, just, accidents or misunderstandings conflict or yeah actually accidents mm. a really funny one like did you know that there was a near like the, the yanks nuke some city in arizona the, like the, phoenix or something no 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 it was near new york there was this there was this oh. bomb like uh was it there was a there was an air okay my history of this particular situation might be incorrect but as far as i can remember this is what my head says but fact check me on this uh there was like a plane that went down carrying a warhead near New York City and it was an American <laughs> plane. And for whatever reason, like either the plane like was able to land safely or like the fail safe worked on the warhead or whatever. And it was just a situation where just by dumb luck, there could have been a nuclear yeah. warhead go off like in the New York region. And pilot was playing it just like just accidentally hit it just didn't happen. <laughs> no, this was before we were born. This back in like the seventies or something. Um, yeah, so like dumb shit can also happen. Farmville's always been there. <laughs> yeah. So, and to just sorry to get back to the original point, to just kind of say like, well, there's this law of physics, and it's inevitable. It's an inexorable complexification and harnessing of free energy that just the world does, and just get on board with it, and just as he says, just the only thing that you can do is build and accelerate. Like at the end of one of his articles, he's like, that's the only option. Mm, so mm. let's just accelerate. And, and it's so like, I, that, that, that I really wait, wait, like wait, that. Wait, wait, wait. Stop, stop. I just stop. Sorry, stop. <laughs> okay. Just before you, <laughs> that, <laughs> that is not a reasonable, that is not a reasonable way. That is just a very dismissive way to treat. Mm. Like, you know, if you think about like treating your interlocutor, as somebody who's reasonable and has reasonable concerns and can think properly, then just to try to dismiss all these concerns about whatever technology it is by just saying, well, it's an inexorable law of thermodynamics that we can harness more free energy. So just like get on board. Like that's, that's not actually engaging with the ideas. It's not actually a reasonable mm. refutation mm. of the bad ideas. It's actually itself a very bad idea. And it's not convincing at all. Even for somebody like me, who I'm on Guillaume's side and I don't find it convincing at all. Yeah. Sorry, now you can interrupt. Yeah. Now, like, ha have a crack. <laughs> Sorry. No, I don't want to do it now. Now that you're not talking, I don't want to interrupt. It's just not the same. It's not the same unless I cut off your train of thought halfway through. <laughs> uh, let me say, it's, How are we going to yeah, go agree. with having I... a guest? We're going to not have... Well, we're going to have to be like Lex and shut the fuck up. I mean, I'll cut you off. <laughs> I'll try not to cut them off. <laughs> 
<laughs> they can just sit quietly in the corner while we talk over the top of each other. Maybe the one inter- the one episode where we didn't do too much interrupting was the interview of you for Tower. Maybe that's a good standard we should go back to. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, let's I do that. I ask you a question, you respond. You ask me a question. And I you respond. actually listen. <laughs> Instead of us maintaining two semi-parallel <laughs> conversations or monologues at the same time, yeah. synchronous semi-parallel monologues is what our podcast is. What if we give this a go? All right, you guys By are now getting work in progress. Of it. Okay, what about... Okay, I've got a question for you then, Jack. <clears throat> this, is called, this is called Building in Public. <laughs> We're building in public. We're learning how to be competent podcast hosts in public. We're like 60 episodes in now or something and we still can't like figure this shit oh, out. No, no, no. Oh, sorry, we're like 70 the... something now. Oh, <laughs> We've had a lot of practice. Um, okay. What were you about to say before when you were interrupting me? I was just going to say the, that whole thing about how uh, the, the way forward is to build. I, really, I mm. agree with that sentiment. That the solutions to our problems are to to work at solving them instead of a passivity of okay, well, let's stop doing something which has caused problems. Because as as we talked about earlier, oftentimes we're not just accidentally doing things like using hydrocarbon fuels, for example. Like that's not that's not arbitrary. That's not something that we just started doing recreationally. Like that that itself was a solution to problems that we had. And so I really like that the solution is to build thing. I just think that this whole dissipative adaptation thing is a bit of a hand-waving device couched in, in scientific and mathematical terms to make it sound more credible. It's, but it's still ultimately a hand-waving advice to ignore the, the real fail states of, of not just intelligence, but life in general. Yeah. They do, so my question... to an extent, get around this by saying, I expect they would mm. say, well, humans, humans at the moment are, at least as far as we know, the best chance of furthering this exponential takeoff of intelligence. But if humans wipe themselves out, then you know, there are going to be some bacteria living in, you know, on, in deep sea thermal vents or something like that. Some life is going to survive a catastrophic human fail state. And from that life, you've, you've got another chance of rebooting the system. I think that's true. Like, yeah, if, if we wipe ourselves out and there's more life in, that, that life might eventually become intelligent or lead to intelligent life at some point far in the future. The thing is, once you get to that point, you run into the same problem of, well, with increasingly powerful technology, you have the increasing risk of a catastrophic fail state. Hmm. I, I do feel it's, it's a bit of hand-waving away of catastrophic fail-states, particularly the, the fail-state of some sort of very, very powerful, very competent artificial intelligence in some way not being aligned with, with human desires. Which brings up another problem I have with effective accelerationism, or at least the articles we read, that... that that follows on from what we were just talking about, where at some points they seem to be talking about how effective, uh, ultra, effective accelerationism exists for the betterment of, of humans and of human experience, and it will lead to this world where humans are happier, lead more fulfilling lives, there's less suffering. 
of humans or sort of post-humans, so trans-humans or modified humans. And that, like, I think that's a bit shaky in that you could, you could produce some sort of intelligence that is much more competent than humans and just wipes out humans, but continues this, this exponential intelligence increase, which would be fitting with, with aspects of acceler- effective accelerationism. So sometimes they seem to be saying this is, you know, this is a super pro-human movement where you know, it's not just that we're creating a world that is better for humans, but inevitably a world that is better for humans is creating itself. But then in other places they seem to be saying, well, humanity is a, an intelligent stepping stone. And even if there is some sort of hyper-intelligent artificial intelligence which supersedes humans, well, that's still in keeping with effective accelerationism. It's just going to be that's going to be the next stage, which itself will continue to accelerate and will probably create something that will supersede it. They seem to want to have it both ways. I find the latter example of of an intelligence that supersedes humans to be probably more more viable or at least more, more what I would predict, assuming that dissipative adaptation functions in the way that Bayes Lord and based Beth Jesus say it is if you just take that assumption and run with it something superseding us seems much more likely but in order to keep that optimistic twitter meme feeling of effective accelerationism of that super optimistic we're all going to make it they throw in these things about how it's also going to be good for humans and i found that tension a bit irritating Mm. that was very rambly i apologize for that no, no, it's okay. I've got some follow-up questions, though. Um, do you find... So, I don't want to lead the witness here, so I'm going to try to ask this question without <laughs> poisoning the well for you. Um, did, did you find... Okay, my first attempt at the question is, did you find the, the inclusion of uh, scientific concepts, especially the thermodynamics and the physics, helpful? Or unhelpful, and why? I'm really in two minds about this, and I'm I'm not sure how I would approach it because, of course, how I would approach it is the objective measure of how good something is or is not, and the the degree to which something diverges from how I would yes, do it is the degree to which something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the fourth law of thermodynamics: <laughs> divergence <laughs> yeah. from from Jack's path, Jack's point of view. Yeah. <laughs> everything before me, everything before my date of birth was just wrong, was absolutely wrong, because there was no way to align with me. After I he died, says, the possibility for truth will be non-existent. He says this as he's got like a pink bottle of like nappy sand oxy action. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm recording. I'm recording this in a shed for people who aren't watching, where it's nice and quiet. You got good acoustics in there. Hey, mate. Yeah. So oh, not when it's raining. Yeah. It sounds like you're inside a snare drum when it's raining. It, oh, does it have anyway, a tin roof? Uh, is it a tin yeah. roof? Yeah, nice. I love that oh, shit. Probably corrugated iron or steel. Oh, yeah. yeah. Some yeah, sort of yeah. bendy metal. Some sort of bendy metal that's really loud in the rain. I really like the way it sounds in the rain. Uh, it sounds great. It's just when you're trying to record something. I'm <laughs> so how good for recording How great it sounds. Um, um, yeah, so you didn't find it helpful. Oh, yeah. I so I'm, I'm in two minds because on one yeah. hand, this idea of dissipative adaptation 
does drive a lot of what they talk about and a lot of what they talk about makes much more sense within the paradigm of a combination of dissipative adaptation as England proposed it and how the authors of this particular article interpret dissipative adaptation. So knowing that does help. Hmm. Thinking out loud, I think the it's not so much the inclusion of scientific terms that I have a problem with. I think I'd I'd think that's fine. I just think mm, they needed yeah. a little bit of explanation as to what this meant, and then a little bit of explanation as to how they have interpreted it. Because yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Without without those things, particularly without them saying how they've interpreted it, it does turn a bit into hand wa- a, a mechanism for hand waving away fail states that I think like have have a reasonable probability with. of happening. Or have a reasonable yeah, that they don't want to engage. It's reasonable with. to consider them. Um yeah. yeah. Again, so to maybe that I would say it. again in in a in that Lex episode with Verdon, he did say that effective accelerationism exists as a counterweight to doomerism or technological doomerism. Yeah. And as such yeah. There is a lack of subtlety, and he acknowledged that lack of subtlety. So there's, mm. there, there's also yeah. that, and I think that yeah, there's a bit of meme. You, know, meme you, you can argue about the effectiveness meme. of of just repeating a message that you know is simplified, but is in the direction of what you think is true. To to try yeah. to draw the the center of gravity of debate more in the direction of what you want. Whether you think that's one of right the problems, or not, I'm with... pretty sure that's what he's trying to do. This is one of the problems of trying to have these sorts of discussions on platforms like X, formerly Twitter, um, because mm. you just can't have any nuance. You've got to fight memes with memes, and no. it just degenerates <laughs> into just yeah. You've got to you've got to post <laughs> Galaxy Brain JPEGs to get your point across. Uh, I'm not above it though. Like my my Twitter is trash when I do use it. <laughs> I, like I've I've got a Twitter account. I just don't use it. I think I made like one or two. Tweets. What do you call it? Because that saying a something is a tweet, like you've got a noun, you've got a good verb to tweet when the name of the platform is. Have tweeted. they what kept that now? verb? Exit. I don't know, but it, but it doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit. Well, I could just go and use the Twitter app now and see what it says, but I'm not going to. I'd rather speculate. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say exit. Yeah, I'm going to exit. <laughs> This is a um, theoretical speculative podcast. We don't we don't need to worry about empiricism. <laughs> so we take um, the Hegelian approach. That's really interesting. So do you think that this is an effective path? Or in what ways do you think that this could be improved in terms of communicating to somebody who is pessimistic? One of the problems and real determining factors is scale. So I think most effectively, the most effective thing in terms of changing someone's opinion, if they are just habitually pessimistic about the the direction of society, of technology, of the earth, etc., having existed in a sort of a a pessimism-predominant environment, which at least much of Mm. the West is, Mm. the most effective thing is to have someone they trust talk to them for a long period about their concerns. Yeah. That is, I think, by far the most effective thing. That also scales very, very poorly. 
And I don't think that is the scale that Verdon is going for. So what you're, what you're assuming saying is that we need... we're talking, we're, we're limiting this to what is, what is effective, what could you improve at the scale right. that he is trying to do this on, of communicating using... To millions of people. Mass, mass media or mass like social media with complete strangers using a, you know, until he was, he was doxxed by Forbes magazine using an mm. anonymous or a pseudonymous Twitter account. Mm. Yeah. That, that makes things much more difficult. But those, those set of constraints I think are important because I don't think he's trying to go for the approach that say I have when I, I want to change people's minds where I talk to people whom I know. Mm, mm, um, mm. I'm I'm a whole lot more pessimistic about changing people's minds by at scale talking at strangers as for as, as we're doing with this podcast. <laughs> um, uh, so what you're saying, Jack, is that we need a hardcore group of evangelical proselytizers to go out there. This is that... exactly what I'm saying. Knock, 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 knock. Hello, sir. Good morning. Have you heard about the good news? <laughs> the techno-capitalist <laughs> utopia of the future. <laughs> um, so what if we go down some of the list of the key points? We've sort of touched on a few of them, but maybe in, if you want to stop me improvement. any of them. Oh, sorry. You're still going on improvement, so. Yeah. Like when we... Towards the end of the episode, because we've got like what what they got right, what they got wrong, which we're kind of discussing anyway. We can talk more about things yeah. we could improve, or we we can yeah. we can talk more pointedly about improvements at the end. But just because you ask, one of the main things I'd like is if so to an extent they they or specifically Verdon has done this. I'd just like it to be a little bit more structured, and it might this might just be as a result of him being really really busy with his startup. And with his yeah, which continuous posting yeah. on X, which is fair enough. Like, he, he probably has bigger problems, but I prefer more <laughs> of a tiered approach. So I, I definitely see the wisdom in making the, the vanguard of your, of your thought something easily digestible, something with a very, very clear, highly simplified message and something which is optimized for growth and like posting funny memes about acceleration. Is, is a way mm. to do that, a way mm. to get people's mm. attention and to draw them in. It would be good if, at the moment, you've basically got, like, Verdon's tweets, then, then the articles that we've read for this particular podcast episode, and then, like, going deeper, on the Lex Friedman episode, he, I think he talked about these things with a lot more nuance, and hopefully... Mm. Yeah, now that he, sure. now now that he's willing to, to put his face and his name to his thoughts, there will be more of those nuanced conversations. We'll see. Mm. Mm. But you've basically just got those levels, and I feel like what the F star is EAC and and the I just I keep forgetting the name of the article. Notes on EAC principles and tenants. Both of those are only really a step above posting image macros, at least in my mind. Given that. Mm. Like they just they posts. take scientific words or scientific concepts and just use those as hand waving devices. Like it, mm. it's better than memes, but not not much. Mm. I would like there to be a tier of 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 subtlety and of 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 depth of thought below these these Substack articles. 
that's more substantial mm. that acknowledges some of the the problems that Verdon did acknowledge when he was being interviewed. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be yeah. probably the main way I would I would do this. At the moment, it's very much geared towards viral growth, which but mm. you know, if if that's what they're going for, fine. I just think mm. there needs to be there needs to be a place to go for more depth once you've you've gotten past the point of haha funny accelerationist meme. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. As someone with basically no social media following and <laughs> no intellectual footprint, <laughs> that that's what I would do. <laughs> Listen, Guillaume. Guillaume. Guillaume, whatever your name is, Guillaume. mate. <laughs> Guillaume. Listen, right. mate. I've sold Listen, like from sixty novels. Us two random I know people. I know what I'm talking about when it comes to <laughs> We obviously market. know what's happening. We come on, take our advice. <laughs> PhD worked at Google and machine learning or whatever, $14 million in startup funding, beat on Lex, you need to listen to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need to listen to the professionals. No, no, clearly, clearly How about not. you? What would you um, do? Um, I think uh, at a high level. Um, so you want me to talk about improvements we could make or um, or any other... Or do you want to save improvements for later? How we, we can I'll, talk about I'll like... get to it a little bit. I shouldn't have asked you that question already, but that's all right. We'll get there. Um, I was going to go through some of the key points, or I wanted to go through some of the key points with you. Yeah, We've yeah, touched yeah, on some that, of them, but then like when I get to one that you think is interesting to talk about or respond to, like you can just like say, oh, I'll pause Start slightly. Bars. I'll pause slightly in between the points and give you a breath to try yeah, to get in yeah. there. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> You're key preempting point. my interruptions. <laughs> key points is energy harnessing free energy. Key point number mm-hmm. two mm-hmm. is dissipative adaptation and thermodynamics. We've already covered that, I think. Key point number three, that. and the energy too sort of it comes into the dissipative adaptation. So I expect yeah. when when talking about external energy sources, they might say say using hydrocarbon energies or nuclear energy or, or harnessing the wind energy power, the solar power. Those are all different ways to harness this external energy source. Yeah, to create the, more In the, the idealized dissipative adaptive system. So then number three is, and four, which I'll kind of put together, is like pro-population and pro-economic growth. Mm, mm. Number five is and pro-technology. Yep. Yeah. I think points three, four, and five, all of those, I expect are, they, they would see as drivers or drivers of acceleration. So you're, you're trying to get more population because those are just more intelligent entities that could be accelerating yeah. economic yeah. growth. Yeah. It's economic Your only growth utility in, in as a two person ways is that to are immediately the technocapitalist machine. Yeah. In one way, so economic growth in one way you could view that also as free energy so economic growth it's providing resources that can then be put towards further economic growth further technological improvement and then technology as well like that is that's almost the thing being accelerated at the moment given that given that verdon seem seems to believe that improvements in intelligence are going to be technological Mm. which i like at the moment that does seem like the most likely candidate so one interesting thing that I, I thought that you might have thoughts on is 
the idea around that he calls them. Sorry, I'll just use a bit of his jargon. The jargon that he uses is a meta organism. So, for example, an organization mm. is a meta organism. It's an emergent structure that is dependent upon the actions of the individual organisms interacting with one another. In this case, it's people. So it's about human action instead of just like an ecosystem, which would be like biological genetic action. So, um, <clears throat> or interactions. So then he talks about meta-meta organisms, which presumably is some sort of emergent structure out of which that arises out of the interactions of many meta-organisms. So many organizations, many individuals all interacting in something like an economy, essentially political economy. Mm. Um, And then you get this thing. The main one that he talks about is for lack of a better word, uh, techno-capitalism, I think is the term he calls it. Mm -hmm. He he says this meta-meta organism, which is techno-capitalism, which is harnessing more and more free energy and is becoming more and more complex and creating uh, grander and grander emergent structures. And it's this thing that we're accelerating, this techno-capitalism. Did you have any particular thoughts on this idea of meta-organisms, meta-meta organisms and techno-capitalism it's very landian nick like as in nick land yeah in terms of the meta organisms i think it's a cool idea and i think you can observe something like that happening that at the very least you can observe when people start to work together and organize themselves at a sufficient scale oftentimes the the organized entity will behave in ways that no individual component of that entity or at least most individual components of that entity don't want personally so for example you can have there there have been political systems say where for very very few within them they actually want to be within that system yet they all behave in such way as to promote that system and and to promote the circumstances which make them unhappy so in some sense you could see that system as a meta organism in that it actually has quite different goals to the the constituent components of it. You could also view, I guess, maybe the capitalist free market you can view as a meta-organism in that it has all sorts of negative externalities that most, if not all people living within it, don't want, yet they continue to behave in such a way as to promote the existence of the, the environment within which those particular negative outcomes occur. So I, I think there's there are definitely dynamics like that. Well, do you find one thing compelling... is with meta? Sorry, mm. I'll let you finish. Oh, sorry. Though. What do I find compelling? Do you find oh, the idea say of it's... having this? <laughs> just, just finish up. Just finish the thought. But the the one thing I was going to add to that was that. So with these, with these meta-organisms, so the, the thing joining them together, uh, the, the relationships between human beings, which are ultimately based on the thoughts within, you know, an interaction between the thoughts within each individual person and, and those relationships between people, you know, there's that loop, feedback loop there. Those things do change a lot more quickly than the, the components of an organism and with that rapid change, it leads to the ability to form these things quickly, but it also makes them more unstable in that the circumstances within a meta-organism can change 
and spin it out of control. And you do have certain meta-organisms that are, if you know, I, I'm just assume that this this idea of a meta-organism is true for the for the sake of what I'm about to say. So if you suppose it's true, certain meta-organisms are much more stable than others. So Nick Land, I suppose, would say that that of capitalism is extremely stable. It is stable to the point where its advancement is an inevitability. It is that stable that anything you do is subsumed within the the techno-capitalist meta-organism. I think the way uh, that you know, Jacques Ellul, I suppose, would say, like oh, the, yeah. the meta-organism of technique is stable to the point where anything you do is subsumed within it and only contributes to its increasing stability. But the the idea of meta meta organisms, hmm. uh, I, I expect like with each level of of assembly of meta organisms, you're probably going to get increasing instability hmm. as hmm. each individual hmm. building block is more rapidly changeable. Hmm. I think the way that um, Verdon would put it is something along the lines of if you have uh, an open market like in capitalism, both in terms of speech and capital allocation um, through like free enterprise, then you have increased variance. And because of that increased variance, you also have essentially more um, more selection happening. More You have mm. more ideas being tried out and also more of them being culled. So he, he sorts of talks about convergence i don't know if that's the way that i would put it but he sorts of thinks of it in terms of like there's like optimal outcomes and the market will sort of converge mm. if you allow the variance that you allow the market to explore the space of like mm. possible arrangements of like capital and technology and so forth that will get to those more optimal it's almost kind of like like a gradient descent sort of thing um and yeah. and if you have a more authoritarian political structure or like more regulations or like you restrain or decelerate or degrowth, you're reducing the variance. You're reducing the civilization's ability to adapt and solve problems and therefore either eliminating the possibility or reducing like at least reducing the likelihood that will like converge towards these like optimal solutions for different problems. Um, and so yeah. it's this I weird guess the, kind of an assumption lurking in there stability. is in like it's dynamic mm. with the selection and the variation, but it's it's stable with regards to solving problems over time. Yeah, and I guess the assumption there is he talks a lot about variance, but not much about selection because it's it's variance plus yeah. some sort of selection pressure. I think that's built into the assumption criteria. with competitive markets. I think he's assuming selection yeah, with competitive yeah. markets which is i think a fair enough assumption i'll give him that that's fair enough yeah look like that's kind of i i think it's if if there is something to be converged upon my instinct is that it's more likely to happen in a competitive market rather than one person with incomplete information trying to just pick where it's going to go yeah the kind of complete opposite of that would be like some sort of like single person autocracy that's making all the decisions. Yeah. And yeah. then you obviously like have a range of like more just or less. Takashi 6'9". It should just be Takashi 6'9 making all the decisions. <laughs> he, should be, he should be the one in charge. 
could you imagine Takashi Six Nine and Gucci Mane making all the resource allocation decisions for society? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like OG Gucci Mane, like fat ice cream face tattoo Gucci Mane, not this ice new, cream like, face, yeah, ice cream face Gucci Mane. Um, so like. That's interesting. Yeah, so you, you basically think... got Shark Tank for new technological process, <laughs> new technological initiatives with those <laughs> Takashi Six Nine. Who else do you have on there who would be really, really reliable? Who would be really reliable? People from I Hate God. I reckon they'd yeah. be good. Just get all of them there. ICP. <laughs> yeah, that's that maybe. Yeah, actually, pretty funny. Get rid of everyone else. Yeah, ICP. I think. Yeah, that would probably be. Best if they were in charge of human technology. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking magnets, There's a lot of man. magnets research. They, they need to work out how magnets actually work. <laughs> that's, that's where all the resources of planet Earth. <laughs> instead of the paper, instead work. of the paperclip maximizer, we create an AGI that is just a super intelligence that is the distillation of ICP obsession with magnets and becomes a magnet. Work. Magnet optimizer, <laughs> magnet magnetizer, <laughs> a magnet maximizer. <laughs> um, yeah, and there are two arms. One is one is dedicated to working out how magnets work, and one is dedicated to just making the most powerful magnet in the universe. <laughs> just a re- really big magnet. <laughs> just fuck off, big magnet. What are we using it for? I don't know. <laughs> just attracting things to us. Just to attract stuff. <laughs> I won't rest until Mars is just pulled straight into Earth. Yeah, can we just like so deflect strong. Mars using our giant magnet? <laughs> I um, want to wrench the Earth's core out of the center of the Earth with a big <laughs> magnet. <laughs> so that's an interesting idea. I think that okay, and that there- that just refutes effective accelerationism because if we accelerate according to ICP principles, then that's that's a definite fail state of wrenching the Earth's <laughs> core out of the centre of the Earth to the surface using a big magnet. That will inevitably and deflecting happen. Mars. And I that think, is, I think, and basically, Jesus has met his match in the ICP. In the ICP superintelligence. So, there's, Guillaume, there's no this is a serious failure state, mate. You need to come on here and tell us how it is that discipline adaptation ICP can protect us against the, the ICP, ICP superintelligence magnet. <laughs> so, okay. So, sorry, I'm just going to mute myself for a dick. You take a breath. Well, okay. Point seven was pro pro AGI and pro AI. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, who cares? (laughs) Um, I have some. I I think they're wrong about that. They don't know what they're talking about. But really, I can talk more about that or not. Like my my completely uneducated position on on AI research is there are risks, but I want to see what happens, and so. I would like it to continue. I, it's just it's just pure curiosity. Probably not a good way to run the world, but I just want to see what happens. Yeah, maybe I'll save my criticisms and talk more about it later. But I think it's it's like I no, think I'm talking AI about re- like research we're, is we're, good. we're at the the pro AI dot point. That that seems like a good enough place. Like I'm pro AI research and development and stuff. I just think that like all of the research that's going on at the moment is not going to yield general intelligence in a machine. 
and the people who I've listened to talk about it other than David Deutsch. Like, so actually there's a really good book. It's called, um, fuck, what's it called? Uh, I'll see if I can find it for the show notes. Uh, like, um, oh yeah, I think it's called Other Minds. It's a, it's a Other Minds AI book. Let's see. Um, no, no, it's not called Other Minds. It's, it's called something. I'll find, I'll see if I can find it, link it in the show notes. Like there's a book that has David Deutsch in it talking about AI, but it also has a bunch of other people talking about, and they're all disagreeing about it. And they ha- they have different thoughts and stuff, and so it's really good to like if you if there's a particularly interesting topic to go and like listen to a bunch of different people. So a really good example would be like the guy who co-founded OpenAI. Can't remember how to pronounce his name. He's got some interesting thoughts. The guy who helped found um, DeepMind, another interesting person. He was a big mm-hmm. player in like developing the modern deep learning movement. Um, then there's I don't know, like, I think, uh, I can't remember any, like, many people's names, sorry. I, I, like, know who they are, but, like, in my head, I can't remember their names. But um, he's, like, one of the guys who, like, wrote, um, helped write, like, the, like, uh, like, the key AI books. Like, they all, they've all got interesting ideas about it. But I don't think that the 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 mainstream approach to ai is on is even playing the right game in order to yield general intelligence like it's not it's not even a matter of like we need to do more research into this thing into transformers or llms mm. or deep learning networks or whatever i i think they're not even they're not even in the right ballpark it's not they're not there's not that they're on the right they're not even playing the right game they don't even know what the right game is to be playing and what they're building are really interesting and useful technologies that extend human capabilities. Our mind, a really good example would be like OpenAI's ChatGPT allows us to like basically interface with this enormous corpus of text. But the approach, which is essentially like, like, at a very, at a very like a very simplified way of thinking about this is it's essentially like you're compressing data, and then you're layering on algorithms that allow you to interface with that data compression, and it's very interesting. And because we have large amounts of data, and these algorithms are more very sophisticated, we can do all sorts of really interesting stuff. But what I'm saying is like that's not even the game that we need to be playing. We actually need to be thinking about. In particular, what David Deutsch is saying, I think he's the only person who's actually making any any reasonable attempt to try to pull this onto a more philosophically um, firm ground. For example, he talks about like with regards to creativity, the algorithm that like in principle it should be possible to make a general intelligence, but part of what it means to be generally intelligent is that it should be able to have any thought possible because if there is some thought which it can't have then if that thought is the solution to some problem then it means that that thing couldn't wouldn't, wouldn't be able to solve that problem therefore it's not generally intelligent so we need to come up with some sort of program that has this property of there is no in principle constraint on what it can think 
whereas the algorithms mm. that we're making at the moment are inherently constrained to the architecture of the algorithm and the training data set. So it's like a completely different paradigm. And we don't know what the paradigm needs to be, but at least David Deutsch in particular has started trying to come up with what are some of those properties that it should have, that general intelligence has. And so I just think that like people like Guillaume are just like, it's like we don't know what the right answer is and we don't even really know where to start. Um, it's good that they're making cool technologies. I think that's great. But the conversation around AGI and this idea of like making a super intelligence, I just, it's not even on the books at the moment. And there's this, all this huff and puff yeah, about at it. At least with. And, and it's like extremely preemptive. And it's it, last thing to say yeah. is that like, is that it's, it's leading people to bring in regulations and to over-regulate the industry when the thing that they're worried about, this like super intelligence scenario, it's it's not even in this paradigm of machine learning research. It's not mm -hmm. even, is like in my understanding, it's not even a possibility. They're not even playing the right game. Yeah, with Verdon, I th I think like I, I like, I provisionally agree with with what you've said. I don't know enough about. How, how intelligence arises to say whether it could arise by accident in a model or not. But with Verdun, I think he's he's talking less about about AI in the sense of it's it's going to become intelligent in some sort of recognizably human sense and then fix all our problems. Because I think he mentioned that he doesn't like a lot of the discourse around so-called AGI. He says it's it's unhelpful because it it sort of it sets the standard of an intelligence needing to be in some way anthropomorphic. Yeah, so and that's where sucking up the disagreement is. A lot of attention. Mm. So it's, I don't want to rant too. I feel like a lot of attention way too much on this episode, and it's it's bringing in Sorry. in regulatory regulatory scrutiny yeah. over something that that may or may not happen or may or may not be relevant. So, like I. I think what you said, like what you said, makes a lot of sense. But I'm not sure. I'd I just want listeners to know it's it's not really something that Verdon. So the reason why is, it's relevant, to what I said, it, like is relevant. The reason why it's relevant. So then this this will be part two to this Levi rant, is that it's not anthropocentric. Okay. He's mistaken. It's not a matter of mm. anthropocentrism. Like this is a the fundamental issue that's at stake. It's whether or not. Okay. One way to come at it is to think of like humans. We're trying to get like machines to replicate what humans are doing. The question is then, well, what are humans doing? Okay. Well, one of the things that we're doing is we're creating explanations of the world. What is an explanation? An explanation is a story that accounts for a particular phenomena. Therefore, as a story, it's a collection or a sequence or whatever you want to say of symbols. So it's a symbolic representation of a phenomena, either a physical phenomena, a mathematical phenomena, a psychological phenomena. And what we're saying, or what I'm saying, is that an explanation is a physical entity that exists, an informational entity that can be instantiated in the world. And that is not anthropocentric. The fact that we can create something that is like Einstein's theory of general relativity, where we talk about, say, like mass differentials, that corresponded to the world in such a way that we were able to unleash energy in particles 
that is not anthropocentric. That is a property of the universe that that these things can exist. An explanation that symbolic representation can correspond to the world, and insofar as it corresponds to the world, it can enable transformations that weren't possible without that explanation being instantiated in the environment. And that's not anthropocentric. Mm. Humans are doing this thing, which is universally applicable. We have this capability to create these things, explanations, which transform the physical environment around us. It's non-anthropocentric and there's nothing beyond it. There's nothing that a, a future <clears throat> and the, the kind of clincher in this argument is that if you propose that there is some sort of intelligence beyond which uh, humans are not capable of understanding, what you're saying is that this thing is not comprehensible, which means there is no explanation that we could put into correspondence with this phenomena. Therefore, it's incomprehensible. There's no, that is isomorphic to saying that this thing is supernatural. It's actually just, it just goes straight into, we couldn't distinguish mm. between, is this a God? Is this like some other supernatural entity? And so just on principle, if you just want to be rational, you have to reject anything that leads into that sort of supernatural incomprehensibility. Either explanations can be created and they can correspond to any phenomenon in the universe and then it's just a question of are humans though that type of entity that can create explanations so it's not anthropocentric like like which which part of the don is that it's it's refuting his like his idea the, that that it's anthropocentric that agi research is too anthropocentric what we're trying to do is get to an entity instantiated on silicon that is capable of doing this same thing, which is creating explanations that are capable of corresponding to the world objectively. Mm. Like, it's, okay. it's really interesting. Yeah. Like, we take for granted that this is what we do. This is just what people do all the time. But actually, like, if we come into contact with another alien civilization and they've created the technology to be able to, like, build skyscrapers and stuff, then one of the things I've discovered is, like, Euclidean geometry and, like, triangles and all that sort of stuff and we'll be able to understand those things the reason why that is because explanations exist independently they have properties that can be spoken of autonomous autonomously and independently of the process that created the explanation they're their own mm -hmm. independent entity that needs to be understood in their own right and one of the properties of explanations is that they can objectively transform the world in ways that those transformations couldn't have been brought about without the explanation being created. It's not anthropocentric. Mm. And for, for listeners, I'm pretty sure, is this based on something he said in the Lex Friedman interview, not in... Yeah, that's where he disagrees the, with. He, he disagrees. The articles we read. He's, he's going like this. He's going, there's other types of intelligence and they're non-anthropocentric, and that's what we want to invest in at Xtronic mm. and that sort of stuff. And I'm saying okay. that explanations yeah. are not anthropocentric. They're a property of the physical universe. They have this thing called universality, this ability to, in principle, correspond to any physical phenomena in the world. And therefore, because they have this universality property, there's nothing beyond them. It's just like computational universality. There's nothing beyond mm -hmm. universal computation. There's nothing beyond just explanations have this property of being able to correspond to the world. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Like, what else sorry, we got? this has just been a Pro massive ranty episode. Sorry. <laughs> Pro-space exploration and colonization. Yeah, sure. I, I guess that's just, that's just part of the... 
I like it. So, so they talk about how yeah, they, they want to increase the variance of intelligence throughout the universe. And I guess like a, a component of that or a fairly obvious uh, consequence of that would be to, to spread human life or post-human life throughout space. Yeah, well, I like that, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I like that. I like that, too. I think, like, all Trans of my quibbles are, like, very, like, very, like, nitpicky, I suppose. So, like, <laughs> uh, transhumanist? I don't know if they're nitpicky. So the, the thing about adaptive, about, about uh, what is it, adaptive equilibrium or whatever it's called, dissipative adaptation, that's it. Dissipative adaptation not necessarily leading to the places where the authors claim it leads. Like, that's not nitpicky. That's, that's a fairly fundamental thing. Yeah. You know, Ver, Verdon's dislike of the term AGI is maybe a bit more nitpicky. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, it's, it's not really it's, something I'll that's fight That's extremely over. nitpicky. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, like, you know, I, I roughly know what he means when he talks about, like, artificial intelligence. So I just... I'm willing to just accept that. Transhumanism, I think, is like I'm roughly speaking. Probably, I probably have transhumanist elements. Like, I don't really see like we extend ourselves all the time with different technologies. Like, even this, like, yeah, our, our phenotype so is already heavily extended. Yeah, and is sort of is sort of arbitrarily extensible, given given what sort of technologies we can or can't make. Including intellectually. So maybe as like as a, as a crude dividing line between, okay, you know, our, our communication phenotype is extended by having access to a smartphone or having access to the internet. You know, that's what allows us at the moment to communicate between Melbourne and Hobart. Like that's, that's not transhumanist, I suppose, where maybe the dividing line comes in is where you start implanting things or modifying the human body yeah, to, to expand phenotype is stim packs. Yeah. <laughs> is I guess where where maybe at least for the purposes of us talking about this, we can, we can put the dividing line as to where does technological improvement that is not transhumanist end and where does transhumanist technological improvement begin? Mm, mm. I guess I don't, I don't really have an in-principle problem with transhumanism. I worry about the impl implementation, of course, like your, your eyes stop working because you, you failed to pay your subscription fee for, <laughs> for your eyeballs or something like that. Yeah. Or having auto-generated advertising beamed straight into your visual cortex. <laughs> well, you know, your, your, your teeth's firmware update didn't go right and now you can't eat anything. That, that that sort of stuff I find very threatening, and I don't trust companies much yeah. anyway. <laughs> let alone trusting them with my bodily integrity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There there are a whole lot of practical problems that I have, but I I guess I don't philosophically have a problem with transhumanism. No, no. I mean, I I'm looking forward to hopefully being able to get my eyes lasered, so I no longer have to use like external refraction correction and my eyes just refract light properly because some mm, mm. crazy doctors like lasered my eye that would be cool um and that 
is just an example of like we do this sort of augmentation all the time. So you're talking about returning to baseline. I want to go beyond baseline. You want to go beyond? I want like an insert where like I want I want twenty five x zoom. In yeah, my yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I want to be I able think... to see infrared and ultraviolet. I think what they got right is there's a whole world out there that we could be interacting with. Like those, um, the mantis shrimp. I want like 15 new. Yeah, I want that. I want that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So. Or even a third arm. You know, when you're carrying something, you need to open a door or something. There there are so many quality of prehensile tail of the human body you could make. Prehensile tail. Just a third arm coming straight out of your sternum. Um, just imagine like you could hold a big plate of food with two hands and feed yourself i mean you can already do that by mushing your face into it like an animal but i want to do it with dignity and a third arm or a prehensile tongue a prehensile two meter tongue that just like rolls up inside your head would be really good <laughs> anyway, the episode is the episode. No philosophical problems with doing this. No philosophical problems. We we should. I assume the energies. I've had so much. If it's not obvious, I've had a fucking heap of coffee this morning, like just to like blast blast through this episode. <laughs> so, um, are you coming I, down the other side? No, I'm I'm fine. How are you going? How's your energy? Your levels? caffeine pump's not working. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I can keep on going. Like. Fucking give the listeners more fodder to like. Let's keep going. Let's deliver some value. Let's deliver more value. I don't know. Like, I feel like my rants, like sometimes I'm thinking out loud and so they might not make a lot of sense. Um, But also like thinking out loud is sometimes the way to sort of like process what your actual position is on things. Um, even if what I'm saying doesn't make a lot of sense in the moment. I'll try and get better at communicating. It'd be better if you record and publish it. Yeah, record and publish it. Maybe I'll get better at explaining these things. You know, some people are really good communicators. Um, mm. We'll get better. Well, I'll get better. I think you're pretty good, Jack. Um, so one of the things that... We're both perfect. <laughs> um, why don't we talk about uh, what they got right? Yeah, okay. I think the biggest thing is just the the directionality. I like the optimism of it, and I like the idea that that a better life is not something that is is either out of reach or is is to be reached through passivity. It's it's the sort of thing that involves solving problems, identifying problems, solving problems, and then fixing the problems that your solutions inevitably cause. Because there's never going to be a solution which doesn't have unintended consequences. I really like that. And I would say sentimentally, I agree with with this a lot, and I really, really like where Verdon is coming from. I think, yeah, I would frame it slightly differently. The way that I think about it is they've identified a problem that I agree is a problem, the culture of pessimism. Yeah. Yeah, so directionally, I think we're saying yeah. the same thing. Um, I'm just a I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> black black pill Levi is coming in and focusing on the negatives. No, the problems are not negative. A problem is like problems are interesting. We work on problems. We're curious about problems. It's not I suppose the word problem can have a negative valence to it, but that's not the way that I'm using it. I'm using it like here's an interesting. Yeah, well, it's also it's also in the problems that you find a whole lot of meaning. 
Yeah, like a, exactly. a problemless life would also be a a deeply boring and meaningless life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so what Verdon has done, and shout out to you know, like for all the criticisms and stuff, like good on him for getting on Lex. He he articulated himself very well, and I think he did a good job of like being more nuanced and all that sort of stuff. And also good on him for at least getting out there and doing something positive with regards to like making a meme account and, you know, having a crack at like getting these ideas out there. And even if I have some disagreements around some of the details, like at least in broad strokes, like I'm on his, I'm on his side at least with regards to, I think the the world is better for having him in it. Yes. Yeah. And so good on him for doing, and also like, with regards to his technology company and stuff, the other thing is like starting anything is hard. Like doing this podcast has been difficult, even though Jack's been doing all the work. So like I can't really complain that much. But like, you know, going and doing stuff, especially on your own accord, and if you're like coming up with the direction, or that's difficult. So I have a lot of respect for like people who start things and especially technical starters of things because that's incredibly difficult. So overall, I'm on his side. Mm. I think it's really good. I just think like, if he wants to make progress, we've got to like uh, fix, I think, what are some pretty glaring like um, pitfalls in in the EAC movement. And if we fix those, we could get actually people like we can we can strengthen the arguments for this for this like uh, positive attitude towards people in the future. Yeah. I'm trying to think of criticisms of this that I haven't already made. I don't think I've mentioned, so they, they bring up this concept of the will of the universe, and I, that, that is a quote from, I'm pretty sure what the F-star is, EAC, that article. And I don't really like these, these sort of arguments of just saying, oh, well, there's this force that inevitably leads to this outcome that I like, or you know, some particular outcome. You know, what we are doing is in accordance with the will of the universe. And therefore, not only will it inevitably happen, but it's it's normatively. Uh, this is a normative statement. You should act in accordance with the will of the universe. Yeah, which to is me, why that's you browbeating. Build, you, why you should try to accelerate. And I don't, I don't like that. That's kind of like saying, well, you you know, something is natural, and so you should do the natural thing. Okay, so why don't or we frame is, our our criticisms like yeah, this? That, Let's say you're talking to me. Say I'm Gilorm Verdon or we can pretend he's in the room with us. And what we're trying to do is like, let's work with you to try and strengthen these arguments. This browbeating people Mm. with physics jargon nonsense and pseudoscience and quote unquote, the will of the universe, like this is very much weakening his argument. This is making it very, very easy to attack. And also Mm. it's just not true. Like this is not the will of the universe. The universe doesn't have a will. It's not, it's just not true. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there was a bit. So I, I kind. That's of why I called it to, in our chat. I called oh, it religion for nerds. Like, I think this is just religion for nerds. This is like, yeah, <laughs> it definitely has a religious tenor. And I would be more sympathetic to the, the if not the will of the universe, then at least some of the language in these articles which ascribe some sort of intentionality to the universe. Mm. I'd be more sympathetic to that and more willing to view it as just. You know, human human beings tend to ascribe human characteristics like intentionality. <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about anthropocentrism. We're used to dealing with other humans, and we, that is, we occupy human subjectivities. That's I'd, I'd be more willing to just see that. Yeah, I'd, I'd be more willing to see that as just an artifact of how humans communicate, 
if mm. the rest of the article wasn't so intentionally mathematized or using so many mm. um, mathematical and physical concepts and using a lot of that terminology. Those two things I don't think really go together well. But it, yeah, in, in general, those will of the universe normative arguments or you know, this is what is natural, those sort of arguments, I don't like because it's so easily varied. Like you, you just kind of say anything and then say it's natural or this is what the universe wants or this is what X wants, therefore you should do it. This is what big, big force and once, of course, so the, the question is always like, who gets to interpret the will of the universe? Well, of course, in Galorm's universe, in mm. Galorm's world, it's the physicists. It's the people who have sufficient knowledge about thermodynamics or whatever who get to interpret and then deliver up from, from Mount fucking Sinai, come down and tell us, oh, well, this equation says that we have to increase free energy or whatever. Therefore, just get on board and start building. Like, to me, that's extremely weak. It's setting up this new, like, no physicists computer scientists whatever you don't get some special privileged position to like use arcane jargony stuff like communicate clearly and like don't try to as you said like turn like observations about the universe into normative statements about how we should con construct our lives mm -hmm. and our civilization i think there's a huge huge gap yeah it should be based on how many hours of gears of war 2 on xbox 360 <laughs> you've spent that's I think that's actually far more meaningful. Not, it's not about knowing about physics. Oh my god, Gears of War Two is such a fucking good game. <laughs> that was just an outrageously good game revelation when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Chainsawing. You just monsters. gave me like a big meaty man. It's like flashbacks. That, like that's Vietnam a future I want to accelerate towards. You just gave me Vietnam more flashbacks to to <laughs> sitting in your own year old sweat as a smelly teenage boy playing playing Gears of War two <laughs> just hours on end. So good, such a good game. Yeah. Just outrageous. Just one of those games, you know, like you multiplayer. Sometimes you play a game and you're just like, "How the fuck did they make this good?" It's just crazy. Um, that was one of those games. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how good it is. All of my all of my memories of it, I'm certain, are through rose tinted. <laughs> Rose tinted goggles, but yeah, true, true. Oh wow, yeah. So a anyway, let, um, can I? So I'm still, I'm still talking to Verdon about Gears of War two, and he's enthusiastic. <laughs> he's enthusiastic. Egg, egging you Gears on. of War two was really, really good. <laughs> um, so uh, could I talk about my response to it? I'll try to keep it under fifteen you, minutes. You can. My rant. Okay, so at a high level. The challenge is, tell me, specify the content of a future theory without actually giving me the theory. That's the challenge. In other words, as Popper put it, Popper wrote this 50 years ago. The reason why like, I bring up Popper was some of this stuff to me, it's like the ideas are not new. And actually more people who are scientists and engineers and stuff should actually know about this stuff or technologists should actually, or like, this is like old hat. We shouldn't be having this conversation. Everybody should be on board with this already. But, you know, sometimes ideas just take a long time to seep out into society. What Popper was saying was he was saying like, <clears throat> I think the way that he put it, which was a really elegant way of putting it is, is if you actually specify the content of a future theory, you have no longer made a prediction. You have made a retrodiction because you have just created the theory. So there's a logical impossibility 
of actually saying what Popper was basically saying is like, if a system is affected by the growth of knowledge, in particular explanatory knowledge, but it can be generalized to genetic knowledge as well. <clears throat> explanatory knowledge has this property where if you specify its content, you've just created the knowledge. So therefore, we can't actually know what the future explanatory theories are. Like we don't know what the dark energy theory is, what the future theory of dark energy actually is without actually creating it. We don't know what it will be. And as a, an implication of that, because new knowledge ha unlocks transformations in the world, new transformations unlocks uh, new abilities for us to do things, we also don't know what the consequences of that new knowledge is. Therefore, systems like a civilization that is affected by the growth of knowledge has this strange property of being not just like unpredictable in the sense of like, complex systems are, are computationally intractable and it would require more resources for us to like simulate the system than we actually have access to physical hardware to do. That's one type of unpredictability, which is an argument from intractability. It's not the same argument. It's a different argument. It's an, argu it's an epistemological argument. And the epistemological argument is that because of this property of creating knowledge, predicting the content of new knowledge is actually creating it. <clears throat> that the future of a civilization is actually inherently unpredictable, especially if, if it's a civilization that is static and is not creating new knowledge and they're just reinstantiating the same memes generation to generation, you can make a prediction because you can just say, well, in 10 generations, they'll probably be doing the same thing because like, that's what the memes are doing. They're like hardening the behavior of the people in the society. But if it's an open civilization like ours with criticism, and institutions that allow change and technological development and economic growth. Actually, there is this thing where the creative imagination of people will generate new ideas that we literally cannot predict. And therefore, anything that's a prophecy around like, well, in the future, we will harness more energy or whatever, that is actually just you just can't say that. It's just not, we don't know what will happen. Maybe in the future, we will mm. come up with such a powerful anti-rational meme that completely shuts down all technological progress across the entire face of the planet. I don't know, maybe it's something to do with the environment or something like that. And everybody gets on board and adopts this idea. And then we just shut down the civilization. That is something that could happen. And just hand-waving some thermodynamics that and trying to get away from it like doesn't deal with this issue. In Verdun's defense, to that, I really don't think he's saying that this sort of development is... It's unclear whether he's saying this development is inevitable for humans. I think he's saying that, like, at a universal scale, yeah, it's, it's going to happen. If it's not human intelligence, then it'll be no, some... He, the term some that he one. uses is he yeah, says... Like, very specifically the, with humans, I th so at, at that more parochial level of the human species, he acknowledges that we can come up with anti-rational memes which prevent us from from accelerating which which is part of the motivating force behind effective accelerationism to encourage us to continue to technologically develop i guess where the where the determinism comes in is with if if we continue to technologically develop then it's going to go in an in a direction that is is in some way positive it's with the will of the universe. It's going to be generating 
more and more and more and more and more intelligences. No, he says like it, he that. says so it in, I guess, in an even more arcane, arcane way than that. He's he because yeah, he skirts around saying inevitable. Yeah, but I, I, I'm tr- I'm trying to demystify it. <laughs> For Pete, he says he says the probability space or the 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 probability distribution of the future exponentially favors configurations of matter that consume more energy. That's what he says. In other words, what he's saying is mm. like of mm. all the possible mm. futures, the one that's most likely to happen is the one in which there's a civilization that's harnessing more and more free energy. Therefore, just get on board and build and be a part of that part of the probability distribution yeah. rather than like the part that collapses or something like that. So he's not quite saying it's inevitable. So I guess he's saying so- this like probability like sleight of hand but essentially what he's saying the heart of it is still he's arguing for the inevitability of this in not yeah and i guess like what i'm saying is yeah like i agree i agree with your criticism and i guess the an additional layer of of nuance is that at a universal scale your criticism of him seems to hold true like he, he does seem to be saying that at least, you know, there's a, a massive probability that you're going to get this accelerating intelligence at a more parochial level, at the human level. I guess like, effective accelerationism is is addressing these local problems for human beings at this particular point in time of trying to fight against anti-rational memes. So we can be the intelligence that continues along this this accelerating curve yeah so if we're in the if we're in the part of the conversation where we're talking about what did they get wrong and how can they improve it so my like what i'm saying is like this is a deep issue i just assumed that was where we were yeah yeah so that's where we are so what i'm saying is this is a deep 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 issue with the entire idea of prophesying the future whether you're a techno optimist or a techno pessimist or whatever you're trying to say like for example the argument that i just brought forth also applies against somebody like toynbee or um Who's the guy who did the original like geometric versus linear, like geometric population growth versus linear population growth? Um, mm. You know, the goddamn, I'm seriously blanking on this. Malthus, like Malthus, Malthus. Um, like this, yeah, this yeah. argument applies across any anybody who wants to make these sorts mm. of predictions and then uh, and then normative. What would you say? whether they're imperative, like are they saying you should act like this or it's it's in your interest to act like this, anybody who's like making these sorts of large-scale predictions about the civilization is wrong. They can't do that. And therefore also their normative um, conjectures that they layer on top of those predictions are also just not tenable. So if we want to improve his ability, Verdon's ability to like combat these anti-rational ideas, what I'm saying is let, let's get rid of that argument. Let's not try to browbeat people into conformity with our argument by setting up an authority in our prediction. Let's instead like directly criticize the pessimists. The pessimists are saying people are bad. The pessimists are saying mm. technology is dangerous and we shouldn't develop it. They're saying all these things. Okay, we don't need to set up an authority in thermodynamics or something. That's actually weakening our position. Let's focus more on like taking down these specific like bad ideas yeah i guess you know where, where i would improve on it is mostly I, I think i've already said it's i think actually having almost a vanguard part of your your outlook on the world or your philosophy however you want to define it 
which is optimized for spread, is is a reasonable strategy. And that's, I guess, being generous, you could say, because EAC is still quite new. That that explains why almost all the content of EAC is within that high spread, f- fairly low nuance space. Where I would improve it would be, yeah, having having places you can go once you've gotten sick of the memes, once you've gotten sick of... Mm. The mm. the articles which we read for this episode, which are a cut above memes, but are still kind of wobbly or a bit you know, for for all their pretensions of or to mathematical discipline, they're kind of sloppy. I would want places which are more nuanced. Yeah, it'd be good and to that, go. That would like that would book. be what I would want to improve on. And get getting rid of the sort of magical will of the universe thinking, because I think that just makes it if you interpret it through the religion for nerds that makes a lot more sense like you know we've spoken about that stuff around people trying to find meaning and the death of god and all that sort of stuff in the west that sort Mm, of thing mm, mm. you know maybe that's part of the problem situation as well for verdon yeah yeah it could be i guess then the problem with that solution is i think making a an arbitrary religion or network of meaning, which has obvious holes in it, is yeah. is going to cause a lot more problems <laughs> down the line than it solves. Uh, yeah, interesting. Hey, um, are there any other improvements? I just think like I want him to do well. I, I I want I want Verdon, and you know I'm a big fan of like basically all of these people. Like even if I like make a snide joke because I want to try to say something entertaining. Like I'm a fan of Mark Andreas and and like all these people because I think like net net they're doing like really interesting cool things and they're like looking to the future um and so I would like it to be more effective essentially in in Mm. in their goals and I think like these these things that we've pointed out today are basically things where I think they're weakening their own their own point of view yeah yeah I think that's fair I don't have much more to say we talk about what we've got next week um, oh no! I have one more thing to say. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> the 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 heart of the issue is like, is this something that can be reduced to like some physical equation, which is what um, Verdon's trying to do? It's a form of reductionism. Um, but you can't reduce this battle of ideas to just saying pick your law of equation for pick your law of physics for Malthus. It was Mm. geometric population growth versus linear food growth, like food supply Mm -hmm. for Verdon. It's free energy, harnessing free energy for some other pseudoscience crap profit, 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 like the guy who is talking about, um, you know, like the available oil stuff, like um, peak oil, all this sort of things. Like any particular resource, mm, whether it's the most. Oh, what was the name of that book? Wasn't he the guy who said that we should depopulate, like sterilize India? Yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah, 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 that guy. It was recommended to us, and we should definitely cover that for an episode. Like all these people, they pick a phenomena, they extrapolate it out, they ignore the growth of knowledge and the fact that people have agency and creativity and can affect systems and they can change problems. A good example being the creation of the Haber process that unlocked more fertility for the land. That means that we have so much fucking food now, like we've got more food than we need, right, in certain parts of the world. So like <clears throat> the issue is that the correct level to address this 
culture of pessimism at is at the level of ideas, not at the level of physical laws. They're trying to make it about the, the issue of like what physical equation should we like run with. That's not that's that's the wrong domain. You need to attack this issue at the level of ideas. And the level of ideas is there's some ideas around people are bad, that humans are bad, that growth is bad. And the appropriate way to address those is to like actually just address those ideas correctly. And the reason why I say this is because Peter Thiel makes a very interesting point, which he says, he says like, it was like a year or two ago, he released this like discussion on whatever on YouTube, where he talks about like, it feels like in the modern scenario, he calls it uh, sailing between uh, Charybdis and Scylla from um, the Odyssey, like Odysseus sailing between these two sea monsters. Mm -hmm. And on one side, Teal says like on one side is the kind of CCP authoritarian type, like hyper AI surveillance state. And on the other side, we've got like, <clears throat> I don't know, pick your other problem, like whatever other problem, like environment. Like I think he's talking about the environmental stuff. And on mm -hmm. either side, we're trying to going full penty link. <laughs> like we're trying to navigate, but this is never not going to be the case. Like there's no, it's not like Odysseus where Odysseus like passed through the channel and then got to eventually, you know, like mm. after overcoming all these. You eventually get back to where the crew and it's fine. Yeah, and it's fine. That's not what happens. In the next generation and the next generation and the next generation, if this thing continues, there will always be a Charybdis and a Scylla on either side. Okay, last generation it was nuclear war and whatever else. This generation it's like dealing with the actual concerns of environmentalism like pollution and stuff versus like the anti-rational degrowth memes of the environmentalist movement you know and then once we solve those there'll be another channel to like there's no end to this thing and the issue that the mm, EAC mm. people are trying to get away from actually oops sorry if I bump that mic of actually like this will require constant navigation this thing and you don't just get to reduce it to yeah. Let's... Rather than just do the if you just do this one thing, then everything's fine. If you just keep building, yeah, everything's fine. And more, and the final piece of it is that, and maybe you'll have something to respond to this. Is it's also like I love technology, I like programming, I like science, all that sort of stuff. I love it. I'm very pro technology, but also it's another. So the two key forms of reductionism that Verdon has done here is one reducing this issue of like the battle of ideas to like an equation and the other form of reductionism that he's done is he's reduced everything to techno capitalism but like the market as much as i love the market and all that sort of stuff doesn't exist just without institutions for example democratic institutions media institutions educational institutions so there's all these other considerations you know the laws you know uh what taboos exist within a society like what things can you speak about can't you speak about even if it's not illegal like there's all these sorts of other things that are required to make this whole thing civilization thing work that is not just technology and it's as much as it pains me to say that it's not just a matter of technology and it's not just a matter of capitalism and resource allocation actually you need to engage people around things like traditions and institutions and education like those things matter as well and we can't just reduce it all to just just build more technology that's just not a su sufficiently sophisticated way yeah. to approach this issue yeah i've well i mean you know i have very strong opinions on this because we've talked about this a lot <laughs> <How> <laughs> i'm just trying I, to bait you jack like i'll be i'll be generous to 
to Verdon and say that I don't think he's specifically saying this. This, this might be more. He's he, it's more yeah. of a mission. So he's mm, yeah he's true, focused true, true, on true. fighting against technological degrowth, and as such, he's not talking about yeah. That's fair. Um, you know, moral philosophy or you yeah. know, how <laughs> how a person should behave outside of accelerating technologically and building. Additionally, he might be indirectly addressing this by saying he wants a high variance society. So that might also like that that itself, I guess, is, yeah. is some sort of statement of the sort of, of thing ethics. that he wants. But it's 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 not a new phenomenon. It's been around for a few decades now. Where, but unfortunately, it does seem to be accelerating. This idea of basically taking taking utilitarianism as a value neutral proposition mm. of basically saying oh well we're just going to maximize for human happiness or reducing suffering or you know some other very very ethics laden pursuit but pretending that we are objective you know where um you know where if not you know, effective altruists or some other form of utilitarian we don't we don't need to worry about what we're doing, why we're doing it. We know what we should do objectively, and all we need to do now is mathematically optimize for it. It's an incredibly lazy approach to life to pretend that all of the all of the metaphysical problems in life are solved. All of the problems of how should we live, how should we relate to each other are merely technical problems that that are solved either by by administrative administrative technocrats optimizing for how we should behave in society and telling us what to do or us just coming up with new technologies which are a priori good so long as they contribute to some sort of base animal comfort uh which which utilitarianism seems to optimize for it's you know it it views humans as purely a stomach and nothing more and so long as you can make technologies which please the stomach then yeah then we don't need to actually think about why we're here and you can see it, at least empirically it's not a very good approach because a lot of people are miserable like ment- mental health is getting worse people are committing suicide more often People are unhealthier. People feel like they have less meaning. Our, our utilitarian world of just ignoring any problem that you can't bang a nail into is not working. <laughs> um, but technology so, uh, Levi knows that I feel strongly about this. And yeah. we actually do, as a society, need to bother thinking about this. Uh, we, we do need to think about philosophy more and think about philosophy in a more constructive way than sort of oppression olympics which seems to <laughs> take up most of the mental bandwidth yeah. at at in sort of an academic philosophy at the moment the thing is though it's like there's all that i'm not quite sure though that verdon is is part of that problem i mm. suspect mm. or maybe generously i'll just say that he's not addressing that at the moment with this he's he's focusing yeah. on addressing the problem of particularly technological doomerism yeah yeah i yeah okay i i'm i'm happy to dial back maybe i'm, not maybe sure. I'm I guess, reading i guess i'll just say like yeah. i'm not quite sure where he falls on that yeah it's hard to, to, to he certainly he certainly might be to me if it's not verdon specifically subscribing kind of to branded utilitarian it seems but I'm not like sure. it seems like the general idea 
whether it's George Holtz, Holtz or like the all the people who or like Shkreli or whoever, it's just like just build more technologies, like make mm. more wealth and stuff. And yes, wealth and technology is great, but like that's not the only important part of a society. Um, no, no, and like all technologies and capital and you know, you know, even the idea of like. Okay, maybe we don't live in the anarcho-capitalist utopia yet, but at least in our current world, in order to have a company, you need to live in a society with functioning laws and property rights. You don't have technological growth mm. in the Republic of Congo, in part because they don't have these other institutions no. that matter. Like, so, like, it's it's more complicated than just build. And I love tech. I love build stuff. It's great. Go and solve problems. Go and build the future but it's not reducible to just that. And all the tech bros are into this and they're not also thinking that, hey, like the rest of the world who are being affected by technological innovations, they need to come along with it. If, if this is a good way to go forward and to solve our problems and to like address social problems, mm. we actually do need to like bring people along, not just beat them over the head with equations and charts yeah. and stuff. And also bring people along towards what? Because there does seem to be a yeah. real like a vision of millinarian or messianic, depending on how you view the singularity, um <laughs> strain to this. Where yeah. a lot of the time and I it's hard not to view this ungenerously as laziness. A lot of these people seem to some of them will acknowledge, yes, there are there are non-technological problems that we have, but mm, mm. if we make an AI that's really smart, we can just ask it, you know, what's the solution to this? Yeah, this me- Which messiah is complex. Profoundly lazy. That's it's just it's so unsatisfying. And I I do see that in quite a lot and of And what places. happens when the AI comes back and just says the meaning of life is 42? Then what? Then what do we do? Yeah. Then you optimize for 42, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, really and interesting. And you get, you, get, you get the next Sam Bankman Freed perpetrating the next FTX because he's just optimizing for 42 and you don't need to consider other <laughs> anything else ethical. I do have when you're a decisive takedown of all utilitarian-based thinking, whether it's like util optimization or Gilor- small, Verdorn small called it something else. Like he didn't use utils, he used some other word. Um, hedons. He called them hedons. Like... Mm, mm. I do have, which is probably a, a more honest take yeah. than than utils. But the most decisive, the, the very quick rundown of the refutation is roughly that in order for any of these things to be quantified, they need to be put into correspondence with at least one type of number. Now, in order for something to be a number, it actually has to have certain properties. One of those properties is that for any two elements in a number set. You have to be able to say whether or not the two elements are equal and if they're not equal, which is greater than the other. Well, the thing is with human preferences, as you'd know, if you value something, three things, it's possible to value A more than B and B more than C and value C more than A. People do that all the time with their preferences. And because of that, for those three things, you can't actually put them into correspondence with any numbers. You can't have this, what's called the property, it's, Mm. it's called the property of rank. The, the ability to like put things into uh, a strict order, strict ordering. We can't do it. You can't put it into correspondence with the numbers, with any with any type of numbers like integers or whatever. Um, 
So this is not a thing that's quantifiable. It's actually a process. It's a type of computation. As the Austrian economists say, it's valuation is a process. A subjective entity goes through the process of valuing things in relation to one another, given scarce resources under concrete conditions at a particular point in time, um, given their particular preferences. That is not something that's reducible to just like utils that can be optimized by like a super AI that just knows everybody's like optimal mm. way of living. Like it's just, it's completely the wrong way of thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's even more fundamentally this idea that the, the correct, correct way of living is necessarily some sort of end point. Like it, it, it's this st- well, it's a, a great static state descent. that you can reach, and it's just fine because it, it it might it might actually be a process. Like it's yeah, in in approaching some sort of way of living or in orienting yourself towards something, it's in that act- activity itself is where the meaning comes from. Yeah, and also the idea that there could be an optima. Like in a lot of Guillaume's thinking, he talks about like there mm. being some whether it's a local optima or a global optima towards which you can converge. It's like you're using the wrong the the word that the tech bros like to use like if you look read it like farnham street and stuff they talk about mental models so idea that you have like some construct in your head and you see if you can use that construct to explain the world like in this particular case the idea of sort of gradient descent like optimizations over some state space is actually it's not it's not the appropriate mental model to analyze these sorts of things we're not there's not like an optimal mm. number of hedons that the civilization can achieve and we just need to figure out how to arrange material processes to like optimize those hedons that's not it's just like the wrong type of thinking yeah yeah it's really interesting learning about this though like yeah. i i am glad that there are movements like this that aren't just technical doomers and i'm really glad that he did a full two or three hours with lex Mm. that was good and hopefully he'll do six hours with us oh man could you imagine like us we get him to read the bible for next episode bring him on man maybe we need to like it would be cool to try to like develop that skill of interviewing people but man i would need to learn how to shut the fuck up We also have zero experience with it. Yeah. This has been a very hev- heavily yeah, that's a, that's lopsided discussion, for discussion in Levi's favor this episode. Sometimes you get a Jack-heavy episode. Sometimes you get a Levi-heavy episode. Sorry. Mm, it just, mm. it just, it, it ticked. Yeah. And as we do this more, we're, we're accelerating towards, towards the medium where we both, we're 50% Levi It, it equilibrates out Jack if you take. With no, no interaction with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the the funny thing about this was simultaneous rants because that 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 would cut down the length of episodes too if we don't even bother waiting for each other we just talk at the same time. <laughs> for me, it's like it it just ticked all the like a, just like a weird constellation of like I agree sentimentally with you, but then you've just ticked all the little bits that I think are just like just gonna like. Just, I've got so many things to say about. This is why I wanted to do it. I, th- I thought this would, I thought this would get you talking. Because <laughs> I want to support him. You know, I think he's he's net net good, net net good. Let's just iron out the details, hey. Um, 
and yeah, we should do encourage. Mark Andreessen's Techno Optimist Manifesto or whatever it's called. I, I assume so, that pretty much everything of that, which I is like a shitter version of this, it will just be basically major. So maybe, yeah, it might yeah. be that. Well, let's see. We can do it. Uh, what's our next episode? Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. The Tate Bible. <laughs> it's. I've already started reading it. I'm like 80 pages in. Yeah. Um, okay. Look, spoil, spoilers for those who want to know my thoughts on it in the episode, but I'm so disappointed because Andrew Tate's just such a fucking goober. I thought, he, I thought he'd be cool. Like, at least with Alex Jones, oh, he man. just says wild stuff that's fun to listen to. Andrew Tate's just, he's like, I don't know, he's, he's like a human jelly bean. He's just... Not he's not wild enough. It's just not that impressive. He's not wild enough. <laughs> he's not. He's just lukewarm. Like he's not wild enough. He doesn't say wacky enough stuff. He's not okay. So he's not either just like really weird looking or really really handsome. He's just. He's just average in basically everything except self promotion. Like he's really good at self-promotion. intense self promotion of a kind of milk toast man who resents women yeah resents women well not so the places where he deviates from average are in self-promotion and, and how much he resents women <laughs> and like for me that's not a, that's not enough i need more than that yeah we've been inoculated i'm just, I'm just bored we're, we're we're so deeply inoculated yeah, so, yeah this shit that you need to be, you need to bring something else to the table yeah. well i haven't really consumed much anyway would you recommend would, yet, you, would so you recommend these we'll articles before we finish oh yeah like 100 go and check out like uh, I'd recommend these stuff. two because yeah. like they're so short, they're easy. These two and any of the go and follow them on Twitter. Follow them on if Twitter you, if you want like this in meme format shit posting. And um, also, I recommend listening to his Lex interview. Like, I think he's articulate. He seems like a nice. Yeah, that person. was a good interview. Um, he he answers interesting questions and talks more about all of these points. I'd say like follow it. and um, if you want to get on board with like the optimism about like. It is possible for the future to be better. However, my particular flavor of optimism is more to do with it can be better, but it won't necessarily be better. It will only be better if we choose to make it better. And so therefore, we need to get people feeling empowered, get people feeling like, yes, we can go and change these institutions, build new technologies, all that sort of stuff, but we don't have to clobber them over the head with like pseudoscience and stuff. We need to actually just like engage with them mm. like they're people that we respect and like hey yeah we can make the future a better place what do we need in order to do that education better institutions whatever so forth um we can leave all the pseudoscience at the door but yes follow verdon yeah. yeah i don't have much more to add follow gillorm yeah. and based Recommend jeff bezos it. i think he's still good good stuff Beth, Beth Beth Jesus, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a spoonerism in there. And also follow right. Martin Thanks for listening. while you're at it. Shout we'll out see to you Scrally. next time. <laughs> <laughs> we should see if he'll come on the podcast. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for see listening. you next time. <laughs>